You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello! And around the world, this is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Spring coming early. 70 degrees, 60, 65 throughout the week. And a little bit of rain. I think the snow is over. I, I think so. We're moving towards the summer. I'm sure a lot of people are excited about that. That means not too excited. I don't like the humidity. I don't like the heat over here, but that's New York. It's all about boats and water and fishing. I'm sure everybody can't wait to go out and run and enjoy the sun and the beaches out here in Long Island. We're going to have, we'll be talking to Chiefs Pro Bowl pass rusher Taba Ali. We have March Madness going on. We have the NFL free agency market opening up. Crazy. Russell Wilson going to a new team. Leo Mack getting traded. J.C. Jackson to the L.A. Chargers. And now Allen Robinson this week goes to the Rams. And the New York Jets knocked it out of the park, adding two tight ends, something that the Jets have not had for the last 30 years. They added Osama. They added uh, Conklin. Two viable tight ends. Two top 15 tight ends in all of football. And adding Tomlinson. Spring trading that has started. All of a sudden, there's so many signings and trades. The Yankees traded Gary Sanchez and add Josh Donaldson to the, with the shift out. I expect Gallo to have a good year. Rizzo, another guy that teams love to shift against. The Mets making some moves, making some trades, adding some pitching uh, to that really strong top two with Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom. Correa goes to the Twins. Three years, $105 million. Freddie Freeman decides not to go to the Yankees, not to go to the Red Sox, not to go to the Blue Jays. He goes to his home and his favorite team growing up, the L.A. Dodgers. Why not open up their pockets even more to add another $106 million player after giving Mookie Betts two years ago a $300 million contract? Do they not have the biggest payroll in baseball or what? We'll get into some hockey, trade deadline right around the corner next week. Basketball, LeBron James in L.A. trying to fight for their lives to make the playoffs. The Knicks winning. I don't know why, but they're winning. I know the lottery, it's a crapshoot, but you want to get more balls so you you have a chance to get a, a top five pick. Why don't we get into some football conversation? We expected free agency to really blow up the quarterbacks that are available. Aaron Rodgers, does he sign a big contract with the Green Bay Packers? Does he go to another team? Does he retire and host Jeopardy? Tom Brady retires. He's coming back. The AFC has become the powerhouse, and the NFC is really drawn by three or four teams, and that's it. So why doesn't Tom Brady come back and try to win another one? Free agency opened up on Monday, and what really stood out to me was the big name that we expected to sign with some of these teams are still available. The Honey Badger. Then we see all these teams, waiver players, drop players. Fletcher Cox, he was dropped and then re-signed by the Philadelphia Eagles. We look at the free agency market with the New York teams. We were expecting the Jets to help out the offensive line. The guard position, they do have Elijah Vera Tucker, Makai Beckham coming back from his knee injury. George Fawn had probably one of his best years. The Jets needed to find that inside interior player to either bunch up right next to Makai Beckham or right next to George Fawn. And why not go after 
I believe, one of the best guards on the market, and that's Tomlinson from the San Francisco 49ers, Speedy. When they did this, it opened up the understanding of the value on what do the Jets want to do. Run the ball first, throw the ball second. Great value for the Jets all around. Jordan Whitehead, a safety from the Buccaneers. They got for only $7 million a year. That'll help their run. Defense. Everybody thought that was a steal because yep. a lot of teams were very interested in Jordan Whitehead. I thought he was going to get a bigger contract. He's one of the more underrated safeties in free agency. Lakin Tomlinson, an undersized guard, but still a guy that can move around well for a scheme that relies on a lot of motion, a scheme that relies a lot of the outside exotic running. So $14 million a year for him is a good value in that sense. And the two tight ends, they really got Ozama and Conklin at good values as well. Ozama's more of a receiving tight end. Really showed out finally with the Bengals this year. He never really got a full-time chance. Tyler Conklin, blocking tight end, but also did well in certain instances receiving this year in the middle of the season when Thielen was hurt, when Dalvin Cook was hurt. A reliable second or third option target for Minnesota. I expect the Jets to use him more as hybrid fullback tight end type role because they don't really have that power back that can block. Joe Douglas is continuing to show that he's getting good value. C.J. Reed, three-year deal. I think that was a great value point. Reed had a fantastic year for Seattle. A Seattle secondary that really started to play better in the second half. And it wasn't because of Jamal Adams. Reed was their number one guy. And now the Jets are bringing him in. The Jets going into this season will probably put him against the best wide receiver on the other team. But Bryce Hall was fantastic this year. He showed what he could do against some of the best wide receivers in the league. How many people could say that they could shut down Jamar Chase to only 35 yards in a game? Bryce Hall did do that in a game this year. And they won that game as well. If you look at the numbers against some of the top wide receivers, this year, especially in the first half, he was a shutdown corner. I expect Bryce Hall to take leaps ahead. You have Carter, the corner that was playing hurt all season long. They are stacked when it comes to the safety position and the corner position. Now, they could go after Kyle Hamilton in the draft. He could be the best player in this year's draft, but I think the Jets need to look at the pass rush position. They did add the Texan pass rusher, Jacob Martin, but he's not an every down player. I think they need to find an every down player like a Thibodeau. If Thibodeau falls to them at four, I can't see the Jets passing up on him. They need that other edge rusher. Now, I don't think the Jets are done, and I think Joe Douglas is really wanting this free agency market because he didn't overpay any player. We see C.J. Mosley. McCagnan, before the Jets parted ways with him, he gave Mosley a six, seven-year deal. I don't see Joe Douglas ever doing that. I think the biggest contract I've ever seen Joe Douglas give was a four-year deal where he can actually buy out in the second year. All these contracts, he could buy out either the first year if they're not good or even a second year. So the Jets are still going to have a lot of money next year. The Jets are trying to form what this team is, their identity is, especially what's going on right now in the Kansas City division. You look at Devontae Adams gets traded to the Las Vegas Raiders. You add him with Waller. You add him with Jacobs. Him and Derek Carr played together in college. Devontae Adams, 29 years old, giving up a first and a second. I think that was a steal. I don't know why Devontae Adams decided to leave Green Bay. I think Green Bay could have matched that contract. Maybe him and Aaron Rodgers weren't getting along in a locker room. But Las Vegas needed to make a big splash to add a wide receiver, and they got the best wide receiver available. Yeah, the first and a second round pick for Devontae Adams, considering what other top wide receivers receivers have gotten. The Jets a, got a first, two firsts, and a third for Jamal Adams. That's a steal. You got to hope that 29 years old, he doesn't start regressing, but he hasn't Jordy regressed Nelson, at all. Nelson, remember he, that. Yeah, he hasn't regressed at all yet. Now, here's the difference with that. The Raiders brought him in off a torn ACL towards the end of his career. Jordy Nelson was 33 years old. Now, I bid on him in fantasy that year. I was wrong, but still, nevertheless, they brought in some ex-Packers wide receivers with Nelson, with James Jones. Devontae Adams is still in the peak of his career right now and really hasn't had many injury issues. He had a couple in the 2018 season when Aaron Rodgers was also playing hurt too, and that team had a lot of trouble in the second half of the season, but still, beyond that, he's 
he's really been durable throughout his career. Now, again, will they be able to use him right? I, I still don't trust Josh McDaniels as a head coach, but again, he's done well with offense too. Now, the Patriots scheme with McDaniels still more tight end and running back oriented. That benefits a guy like Josh Jacobs and Darren Waller a little more. But Devontae Adams is still somebody they need to take away attention from top players because their receiving depth last year really had a lot of issues and they had to have like new guys step up every week. And, and don't forget about Renfro, right. who uh, really broke out last year as a pro ball player, fantastic slot receiver, and you could put him on the outside. He's only going to get better. Josh McDaniels loves those small wide receivers, yep. Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, and Renfro is better than both of them, I think. I think Renfro's only going to get better. If you don't remember Renfro from Clemson, the national championships. Everybody forgets how good Renfro was in college. He's getting even better in in the NFL. I, I think he's a fantastic player, fantastic piece to the puzzle. And they needed Devontae Adams, especially what the Chargers have done. They traded for Khalil Mack. They brought in J.C. Jackson from the New England Patriots to solidify that secondary, which is loaded, by the way. Absolutely loaded with Derwin James, who's going to go into the season very much healthy. Last year, he didn't go into the season healthy. He came in like the fifth or fourth game. So he missed a lot of the season, figured out with a new coach. The weakest part of the Chargers is their coach. I think this team is the most talented team in the NFL, from special teams to quarterback to defensive line to secondary to the offensive line, which Slater was one of the best tackles in all of football. Yeah, they have all the talent and all the balance that you want. Built it very similar the last five years to the way you see teams like the Bills and the Ravens have that have built up really great rosters. And the Chargers now really have that. Sebastian Joseph Day, signing him from the Rams, too, was another underrated signing to help out their run defense. Now, I still think they should draft somebody, too. Maybe get some more linebacker depth because Kenneth Murray has been a nice player, but he's been injury-prone a lot, too. The Broncos, Russell Wilson gets traded over there. I think the Broncos are going to be dangerous, too. Their defense stacked with Chubb. They did lose a couple of defensive pieces in the offseason. Their offense, they've got a bunch of good young players. Jerry Judy now got a quarterback to throw to him, Sutton, and they have a good running game with Williams. And then you have Kansas City. They lost a lot of pieces. Franchise Brown, which was a good move by them, but they're going to lose the Honey Badger. They bring in Reed, a good fit especially in scheme, they signed Juju Smith-Schuster, which I think was a good move by them. They needed a third target. Schuster hasn't had a good season in almost two and a half, three years. Nope. Does this recharge his career? Yeah, it's going to take pressure off him. He's not the number one guy from Pittsburgh. You have Tyreek Hill there. You still have Travis Kelsey. So it gives them another weapon, but they have gotten worse. Out of all the teams in this division, Kansas City has gotten worse. I expect the other three teams to take a move forward, and I'm not saying Kansas City is going to take a but going to take it a little dip because they're not even the most talented team in that division. No, the Chargers are the most talented. It's just a matter of the co- the coaching, like you were saying, with the coordinators. I trust Staley a little more than you, but the Chiefs have Andy Reid, so that'll elevate them a little more. The Broncos are balanced, too. They brought in a couple of defensive pieces as well to help out. And, again, those skill players are definitely going to benefit a lot from Russell Wilson. So this division is going to come down to the balance approach of the Chargers or Broncos or the Chiefs and the Raiders who did more quick fixes. And how about the AFC North? Pittsburgh yeah. added a quarterback and Mitchell Chabitsky. Mitch deserves another chance. If Mitch doesn't succeed in Pittsburgh, he's done. He'll always be a backer. I think Mitch has a lot left in him. He's still fairly young. I think Mitch is going to prove a lot of people wrong. And how about the trade yesterday that sent 
Deshaun Watson to Cleveland. He gets a $235 million contract, $140 million guaranteed. Deshaun Watson, before he got suspended, he's been out for two years, was a top three quarterback in the league. I picked him over Patrick Mahomes. I thought Deshaun Watson, before he he missed the last two years, was the best quarterback in the NFL. Now Cleveland adds a star quarterback. They give him a lot. They give up three first rounds for him. I think it was definitely worth it. It's going to take him a year to figure out the offense. It's going to take him a year to get back into the speed of the game. If anybody could do it, it's Deshaun Watson. I think he's a multi-talented player, a sensational player. When you look at that division, Lamar Jackson's there. Baltimore got better, too. Now, they didn't sign Smith. There was something going on with that contract. So Smith is still available. They added the best safety in all of football in Marcus Williams. He goes over there to a very strong secondary. I expect Lamar Jackson... And that Baltimore Raven team to be one of the top teams in the league and one of the top teams in the AFC. Where does Baker Mayfield go now? Indianapolis would be the best fit for him. Frank Wright, if there's anybody that can help Baker Mayfield. Carson Wentz didn't do very well in the locker room. Very strong personality. Baker is even a stronger personality, but he's not a guy that really puts down his players. He's never had a problem with any of his players except, I believe, Odell Beckham. But I think Baker Mayfield going over there to Indianapolis would be a great fit. Maybe Seattle, another team that has a lot of weapons that might be still ready to win now. I mean, with DK Metcalf there and Tyler Lockett, why not add a Baker Mayfield over there, a personality over there that could give this team a little bit more exciting season instead of a bad season with Drew Locke, who probably is not going to get you to the next level. And then there's the AFC East. Buffalo, I think, they have gotten worse. They lost a lot of veterans on that defensive line. So what did they do? They overpaid a veteran, 33 years old, $120 million in Von Miller. Now, do I think Von Miller he could still be a top pass rusher in this league? Last year in nine and a half, nine sacks, and in the playoffs, three sacks. So, But he's going to get older. And a six-year deal, $120 million contract, will you strap yourself on to that contract for the next two or three years? It's going to hurt your salary cap next year when you're going to try to bring in free agents. All these teams have gotten better in the AFC where if you don't win this year, you're going to have to give away pieces. You're not going to to be able to bring in free agents. That window of winning is gone. And we've seen this with Buffalo in the 90s with Jim Kelly. They had a window of winning. They went to four Super Bowls in a row, and they didn't win one. And Josh Allen's a sensational player. Deserves all the accolades. I think he's one of the top five quarterbacks in the league, but where is this team going with all the losses that they had and now signing Von Miller? They need a running back. Are they going to go after Saquon Barkley? What are they going to have to give up for Saquon Barkley? Out of all the losers of the AFC, it's Buffalo. Buffalo really swung for the fences with Von Miller. The last move they're going to be able to make this offseason. So they're going to hope Von Miller can help mentor those three younger pass rushers that they have. Can't bolster anything else. They have to really hope their team stays healthy because they're not going to be able to have room to add depth. Definitely a swing for the fences move to try to beat the Chiefs, maybe beat the Bengals. Beat the Chiefs? The Chiefs aren't the team to beat now. No, but it's the team that's hindered them in the playoffs. The Chiefs might not even make the playoffs oh, this make year. The playoffs. In that division? It's going to be hard, but I think they'll still make the playoffs. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders are going to be good. Broncos are going to be good. The Chargers are going to be good. Three wildcard teams that can make the playoffs. I expect all three of those teams to make the playoffs. But I don't know because you have the Patriots in the AFC East. Now the AFC North. You have Deshaun Watson with Cleveland. And you have the Bengals. One or two of those teams are going to get knocked out, and nobody would expect it. Kansas City? 
as good as they are with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, they're not as talented as Vegas. They're nowhere close to the Chargers. And right now with Russell Wilson going to the Broncos, are they better than the Broncos? Not defensively, that's for sure. Offensively, I mean, with Williams, a second year under his belt, and some of the offensive weapons they have now, that they have a quarterback that can actually throw them a ball. I think Kansas City, talent-wise, is the worst team out of all those teams. There's no shoe-in for Kansas City making the playoffs. I just still think the coaching and Mahomes and those stars they have are still going to work. There's going to be teams that are going to have these quick fixes that work. We saw the Rams win a Super Bowl with a lot of quick fixes. They're not all going to work, though, so I still think they'll have a spot. You had the Broncos making the playoffs with Drew Locke. Now you have Russell Wilson. Are you picking the Broncos to make the playoffs this year? I don't know yet. You don't know yet, but you picked the Broncos to make the playoffs last year without a quarterback. Makes a lot of sense, Speed. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have our very special guest. We are going to be talking to ex-Chiefs Pro Bowl pass rusher Tamba Holly here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. Before we get our special guest, Tamba, on our show, I had to mention this because it's been not only heartbroken to me and my family, it's just been killing me inside. Last weekend, my cousin, Andrew Marks, passed away, was found in his bed, not responding. My Uncle Arthur found him non-responsive, not breathing. We went through the wake and the... The burial this past week, it's been very, very hard. I lost my nephew a couple of months ago, my four-month-year-old nephew. Losing my cousin, Andrew Marks, to a devastating short life has been not only heartfelt, but it hurts me. I'm very short for words. And to my family, the Marks family, to my uncle, Arthur, to my Aunt Phyllis that are hurting inside, I'm here for you guys. My cousin, Rebecca, their daughter, and my cousin. Losing Andrew was definitely a crazy, unimaginable thing to lose at the age of 22, and I just want to give a shout-out to my family, the Marks family, and my uncle and my aunt. Tell them that I'm sorry and that we're all praying for you guys. And, Andrew, I will see you 30, 40 years from now, 50 years from now, but I hope to see you again, my friends. I love you, and I'm going to miss you. We have our very special guest. We are now talking to Chiefs Pro Bowl pass rusher, Tamba Ali. What's going on, Tamba? I'm just kicking back, man. I can't even skip your story. My condolences to you and Thank your family. You. I can only imagine it's a hard week for you. Uh, but, uh, you know, just uh, hearing that, all of our prayers go towards you. At this Thank moment. you so much, Tamba. It, it, it's, it's sad because I, I lost a nephew a couple of months ago. My sister lost her four-month-year-old son. My godson, he, he passed away. It was a freak situation. And then losing my cousin, he was actually one of the cousins that came to my nephew's um uh, my 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 nephew's wake and he's gone he was the one that actually carried the coffin to the ground and it just seems family comes in and goes and, and you don't realize how short life is and you don't realize how important life is and you should right. enjoy every second every minute every time you wake up in the morning thank god that you have your health very true man very true very relatable to me but 
our prayers go to your family Thank and you. everyone that's involved with that. So, Tamba, uh, you have been out of the league for quite a few years. And Five years. Yes. We're talking about possibly maybe a Hall of Fame nominee. You had a tremendous career. Now into his music life. We will talk about that in just a few moments. But how are you doing? What is it like being retired and just enjoying life? It's a lot of work. Not easy. Football was much easier. I get to be around my family, my wife, my kids. That's hard. They expect daddy to always be there. But it's also fun being able to relax. I have to make weight every week. It's like, man, I got to make weight 260. And it's like, <laughs> now I don't have to worry about that. But then I do. It's like anytime my weight starts creeping up. But it's fun, man. I'm enjoying the time doing things that I enjoy doing. I love doing music. And I spend most of my time doing it and connecting with good people. You're still fairly a young guy. I'm actually older than you, Tamba. Actually, a year older than you. I'm 39. You're 38. So it's crazy that you're 38 years old, your career is over, and you're still very, very young, and you got your whole life in front of you. Why don't we get into what you're doing off the field? You have right now a record company called Relume Records. Tell us a little bit about how you got into this and what made you fall in love with music so much. I grew up in the church. You grew up in the church. You grew up singing. You you know, I played the bongos. My mom is a minister. My stepdad's a minister. So I grew up in the church singing. So that's where my music side come from. When I got to the country, 94, I couldn't read or write. And my dad got us on hooked on phonics. Now I'm learning how to read, but we're rhyming. And growing up in New Jersey, so in New Jersey, it's all rappers up there, you know. It's all <laughs> the Biggies, the Pox, the, the Camerons, the Wu-Tang. So my stepbrother had left all his mixtapes, all his 80s mixtapes. I was so hip to it. I loved the sound when I got to the States rapping, you know. Just rapping was cool, rhyming and putting words together. I did it in college. I just did it for fun. Kept me busy, stayed out of trouble, you know. And um, But in the league, when I got, I built this studio behind me, and I just spent most of my time in the off season just writing music i signed an act gilly the kid we worked around each other for about five six years on now he's on to his podcast is doing pretty awesome but i signed him a couple producers i signed another artist named stars i knew i could rap but the problem was the league is not going to accept you trying to rap and play football it's really strict like you got to be into this football thing you choose is that's your livelihood it's true like you have to put in time so I kind of did it on the side afterwards. I just felt like I could do this. Let me go ahead and do it. That's money into myself instead of putting it in other people. Talo, you were actually born in uh, Liberia, which is in West Africa. And you were mentioning that yes. you moved to, to the U.S. in 1994. So musical influences in both African music and also hip hop and other stuff you got into. Who are some of the specific musical influences you had? In Africa, I wouldn't even be able to tell you the artists, but it's definitely a sound that's What's kind of emerging now, they call it Afrobeat now. Mm-hmm. But back then, the music was a, a bit more fast. In the States, you're talking about Jay-Z. If I had to want to model myself, Jay-Z, Cameron, Jada Kiss, Biggie, and Pac. I grew up in that era, 94 and up. Right? So I kind of saw all of that saga going down. I just enjoyed the music. Those were my biggest influence. And over time, 50 Cent and Drake and those guys, I still listen to hip-hop. 
it got better. You know, the, what Kendrick and what Drake is doing with the words is not BS. Like, you got to really come with it. You got to be good at the craft and you got to be good with your storytelling. Lil Wayne, one of my biggest influences was Lil Wayne because he just took it far left and he was still able to have clarity with it. So those guys are like our age, but yet, you know, I was in a whole different realm, but I listened to them. As everybody knows, we are talking to Chiefs Pro Bowl pass rusher Tamba Ali. I think 90s hip-hop is so much better than the new age hip-hop. I do not like the new age hip-hop. Kendrick <laughs> Mar is all right. You see what's going on with some of these different artists that are coming out. They're talking about shoes and socks and things that make absolutely no sense. Who cares? Yes, the rhyming has gotten a little bit better, but I think the afterthought of the 90s with the Wu-Tang Clan, and not only do I do sports radio, I'm a DJ. I've traveled all around the country. I used to be on tour with Mary J. Blige. I, I went on tour with Rob Bass. Wow, so, that's big uh, time. Yeah. so I, We I, need to connect, man. Absolutely. You got to spin some of my records, absolutely. man. I do private parties now. I've been all over the country, all over the world DJing. Met a lot of people, a lot of influencers. And I was at Kanye West Yeezus album release party. So I know Nas. I know a lot of different hip-hop artists here from New York. So I've been around it for a very, very long time. So the music and the, and the way music is transitioned, and now everybody's using different clips of different tracks, and everybody's trying to change the way music Music is it is it is different. That's for damn sure. But why don't we get into your career? Because you had a fantastic football career. Played for Kansas City all those years. Dominant. At one point, you were one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. Let's go through your career. You were drafted by Kansas City in 2006. Grew as a football player. Tell us a little bit about the time that you were in Kansas City from 2006, really, all the way to 2017. Being drafted by Herm Edwards, it was a big deal. I was a huge Jets fan. I love watching the Jets. I, I wasn't big on the NFL. But Herm and Carl Peterson coming into State College and watching my pro day and then picking me in a 20th pick. It was a huge deal. I get there. I play with veteran players, Ty Law. I think Willie Roof had retired at that time, but we had a Hall of Famer guard, Will Shields, Trent Green. I played with some really good caliber players, good people. But then it became hard. All of those guys left, and we were kind of like starting over. And then we lost Lamar Hunt, senior. So it was a whole new organization coming together. Clark, who's the chairman right now, the owner, one of the four owners, did a tremendous job over the time hiring different coaches. But at the time, it was always in the air. You had to make the team. So it wasn't an, an easy transition. Some guys have. I had to go through a, a bunch of different head coaches, but it all started to pan out when we got Scott Pioli. Scott Pioli paid me, mm-hmm. but he brought in a different scheme. He brought in a 3-4 scheme with Romeo Cornell, and we had Charlie Weiss. And then Charlie Weiss only spent uh, maybe a year or so, and then he was out. But Romeo was able to use me in a 3-4 scheme so I could become the pass rusher that I eventually became. And then we get Andy Reid because, you know, there's a, a small transition there, some mishaps. Things didn't go the way that Romeo Cornell won. It and we get Andy Reid, and he's a whole different type of coach. His approach to the game, he changed our culture. We were so accustomed to losing. Everything changed. Players coach, but he demands you love football. You need to come to work. All the little things. He kind of reminded me of Joe. Joe didn't have a lot of rules, but if you couldn't abide by those few rules that he had, it wasn't going to work out for you. Andy was hands-on, so if he was going to release a player, he was, I wouldn't say captain, but the leaders on the team, he would discuss it with them. He'd say, you know, I think we're going to let this guy go keep you involved but yeah my time with Andy Reid I always talk to coach and I say to him I say I would love to if I ever anyone that I want to be like is you because he never wavered 
in, in, in his approach towards what he was trying to accomplish when he got to the Chief. And that was like the highlight of my career because that's when I started to get to win games. That's when we got to the playoff, won some playoff games. And we had a drought for quite a bit of time there since 93. So Andy Reid was like the pinnacle to now back into the playoff. And now look what Patrick and his guys are doing over there. So my time with the Hunts, it was a tremendous ride. I'm indebted to that family, that organization. They just recently had made me an ambassador for the Chiefs. So I work with an organization. It's a nonprofit organization. And we raise funds and we help the community. We raise money and then put it back into the community. It's a pretty cool gig that I'm a part of here in Kansas City. So you mentioned you started your career with Herm Edwards. We know about his personality, what he could be. So what was he like on and off the field? And do you have a particular Herm Edwards story that stands out? Herm was a player's coach. Herm was not going to lie to we you. We play to win the game. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't going to lie to you because he knew he's a grown man. You got to kind of shoot him straight. I remember one time Herm said, I don't care what you got to do before the game and then he broke out and say back in the day when we play the professors would be walking down on berkeley doing that stuff he said i don't care what you got to do whatever you got to do just make sure you show up on <laughs> sunday and play and it was just straight to the point because he knew these guys would do whatever it takes to get on the field and have a good game. And he wasn't going to get in their way. I remember that story vividly. I didn't get a long time with Herm, but I loved Herm because he just cut it the way it should. He told you the truth. And then you had to be a man about it and go do your job. We are talking to Chiefs Pro Bowl pass rusher Tamba Ali. Now, Tamba, you watch the game now, and the game's completely changed from when you were playing. Really, in the last five years, with some of the rule changes, obviously you can't hit over the shoulder now. And it's become a game of sometimes baby-like. You might as well play flag football now because that's what the NFL is becoming. But really, some of these pass rushers now, one of the Watt brothers dominate the league last year. When you were playing, it was Michael Strahan. It was you. It was another player that played with you on the other side. Um, Justin Houston. Justin Houston, another yeah. dominant force. Jared you know, Allen. Even in Indianapolis, Mathis and all the different players that you saw over there. What do you think the changes have been really at your position and some of these young pass rushers that have come into the league? I don't I don't think my position have changed much. I think it's still, you got to go out there and play. You're still going to get choked up. You're still going to get blocked. You just got to play. I think what's changed is we have to be more conscious of our peers. We enjoy going out there and knocking heads, but it's a traumatic game. It's a car crash collision for three hours, 60 minutes, time stopping going. So you're doing that for a long period of time. It's obviously going to have a toll on your future. And so I, I think the league is trying their best to have guys more conscious on how you go about knocking people out. Of course, the fans want to see it. Gladiator style, come through, get everything. <laughs> knocked over but these are men that have children they have family that you want them to be able to enjoy life after football even do more even become leaders in the community something you don't want them to turn into mushrooms and vegetables afterwards they're just nothing i applaud the league for kind of looking into it the rules it has to continue to evolve because the guys are getting bigger and stronger you know when i was coming out i wasn't as strong these guys coming out they're smaller than me but they're lifting more than me they're running faster and player caution is a huge thing and i applaud the league for it so growing up in africa and specifically in liberia you didn't get the exposure to football that maybe you see now with some of these other african players coming into the nfl so what sports did you get into first when you were growing up in africa and how did you get into football when you moved here to the states first i played soccer they call it soccer here it's 
football there, but that's what I grew up on. That's the only sport we really kind of grew up on. When I got to the States, I got into basketball. I have a little height, and I enjoyed moving on the court and bouncing the ball and going to the park and learning how to play. How did I get in football? It was my gym teacher. He was the defensive coordinator, Ed Clement. He always said, once you get to the high school, play football. I really didn't want to play football. I didn't understand the game. And when I got to high school, I really didn't understand the game. But I enjoy hitting. That's something I don't know. It just came natural. It's like we lined up and we go here, get the guy with the ball. Simple. So I line up and I do it as fast as possible. And then played right tackle freshman year in high school and blocked it this guy in front of you. I didn't even realize I had to remember that. So every play, it's like I'll ask Warren. Warren will be right next to me and I'll ask Warren, Warren, what do I do? He will point to the guy. Block this guy. I'm a, block this guy. So the guy knows it's coming, but that was my life starting out with football. But it was Ed Clemick who encouraged me to play football in high school. We talked to a lot of ex-NFL players. Brandon Lloyd came on our show. We talked to Christian Okoye, the Nigerian nightmare. Another guy that came all the way from another country to play football over here and really never played football in his country. And we look at the CTE problem that's happened over the last, I would say, 10 to 15 years. The NFL tried to sweep it under the rug. And and Roger Goodell, say what you want about Roger Goodell, and I am not a big Roger Goodell fan. He's trying to clean up what the NFL did. And he was one of the guys that tried to hide the situation. The players' union did win $100 million for the players. Some of these players are getting paid for the CTE problems that they had. Jarvis Green was on the show. He said it took him forever to get his money. He wasn't very happy with the NFL for what they did. What are your thoughts to this CTE situation? Some players, like Patrick Willis, Debrickashaw Ferguson, Calvin Johnson, they all retired at a young age because of this situation. Do you think that the NFL has done better with this situation and do you know any stories that you know of some of these players that you played with with CTE problems now after their career I think the NFL is improving on it I think every year from how our equipments I remember when I first got in the league I was accustomed to a certain helmet that I wore but you know it was enforced on us that these were the new helmets and as time went on we had to change the helmets so I think they're constantly trying to do what they can to improve on the the CTE situation here in the league. Roger Goodell cannot be to blame. He's the commissioner. He he has to be able to pick it up from where it was and try to at least move it somewhere. And the next guy has to do this. This is a physical sport. We sign up for this. This is a sport that they say 100% chance you you are going to be injured. You should know that. There's a 100% chance you're going to become injured playing football. How severe that is, it's up to how rigorous you want to play the game game but i think the guys are getting wiser i think the guys are getting smarter they they realize that hey man it's not all about the money it's about our health we want to live a longer life you look at kukli kukli left the game at year eight he could have played eight more he's a hall of famer to me he knew he's smart enough to know he had to get out because it's inevitable if you continue to play this game at that kind of level yeah you're gonna have some traumatic injury I can't speak on anyone. I can speak on myself because we're always drugged up for the game. People are not aware. Like, yes, I'm taking a shot just to play the game because my knees are hurting, my ankles are hurting, something's hurting, and I want to be able to play without that kind of excruciating pain. So every game, even Dwight Freeney, when we make the Pro Bowl, we always sit there and talk about it. You probably won't be able to play this game without that shot for as long as we wanted to play. So I'll say for me, maybe I had some CTE effects because. After football, I used to be drugged up. Mm. Now, I'm not as drugged up. Mm. And I'm starting to realize maybe my behavior is still more footballish, even around my family. And I had to check into rehab centers and just realize this is strange to me. Like, life 
on the outside. It's not like life on the inside. On the inside, it's like that's your world. On this side, you can't behave that way. Over time, you clean yourself and you start to get to a place where you realize mental health is very important. And it's starting to become a big topic around not just football, but the entire sports spectrum. I think the league is doing a good job, not just to cover it up, but I played in the league and I understand that you're not going to get it perfect. But Roger and his team, they're trying their best to make sure that our guys are not going to go ahead and kill each other. So one of the things they've done in order to reduce these head injuries across the league has been trying to make the rules a little more for catering to the quarterbacks. As a pass rusher, you kind of got it towards like the end of your career with these new rule changes. So what do you think about a lot of these new rules that a lot of these defensive linemen have to deal with now? And do you think it'll help long-term the CTE issue? As much as I wanted to keep hunting those pass rushers, they're the most vulnerable player on the team. They're not lifting weight like we are. They're not running as we are. Yeah, we get some of our guys who come in the league who can run and do all of that stuff. But the position requires you to throw the ball. Protecting the quarterback, from our view, is very important. You can sack the quarterback and you don't have to impose such a hit on him. I remember at times I would hit Peyton so hard and I don't know how he would take it. And I was just like, damn. You got to try your best to take care of those guys. They are kind of like the ambassador for our league. They carry the torch. You could sack a quarterback. I remember the referee will always compliment me when I sack the quarterback and strip him. Because they realize he gets it. If you just hit his arm, the ball is out. It's a sack. So I kind of pride myself doing that more than trying to get there and just kill this guy. Most of the time, you're not going to win that battle. Tom, uh, obviously, Tom Brady retires. He puts out a nice little thank you to all the fans, the Patriots, Robert Kraft, everything. And then all of a sudden, like three, four weeks later, you see him at a Ronaldo game. And then 24 hours later, he comes out on his social media and says, I'm coming back. I still think I have another year or maybe two years left in this game. And all of a sudden, Tom Brady is back. He's playing for the Buccaneers. Aaron Rodgers gets the biggest quarterback contract in NFL history, $50 million a year. And Russell wow. Wilson goes to the Broncos. The AFC is stacked now. Khalil Mack over there with the Chargers and Jackson wow. Suns. You know, you were in the AFC practically your whole career. Now yeah. the NFC, which has been a world power over there, has become the weak power. And the AFC becomes so big. What are your thoughts of Tom Brady's return and really the transition from the NFC being so strong to being weak and the AFC being so strong and your division, Kansas City, the Broncos, the Las Vegas Raiders, who landed Devontae Adams now. That wow. division is as good as division we've seen in almost 20 years. What are your thoughts of the AFC just looking like it's going to dominate this year? Tom Brady coming back to me is huge. I want to still see him play. Mm -hmm. He looked like he could still play. 5,000 yards, 40 touchdowns, of course. Yeah. 44 years old, and he's still doing it. Yeah, he looked like he could still play. So it's kind of cool how he did it. He kind of kept the press down off of him. I don't want to keep talking about this all <laughs> offseason. Just, I'm retiring. I'm coming back. Good. He pulled the Jordan. Applaud the guy. He was able to get a little relief from football for a minute there. He came back. But the AFC, yes. Having Mahomes... What Mahomes have done in the past, let's say, four years since he's been a starter, we've played a championship game here. It's only made more players want to play in this conference because you're on prime time and you're playing against really, really good players. I think Russell Wilson got it. 
I think he figured it out. Like, I need to go play in the AFC. But what I see now, it's kind of hard, the AFC West, because now you got Khalil Mack with the Chargers. Mm -hmm. So that's Joey Bolza and Khalil Mack that's going to be haunting our guy here, Patrick. So that's tough. And then you got Russell Wilson, who's going to show up every game. Obviously, they're going to keep making moves out there. But yeah, it's going to be an exciting year. I don't think the NFC is just getting worse. I just think think what's happening right now, you still got Aaron Rodgers, you got... got four teams in the NFC. That's all you got. San what, Francisco. Dallas? You counting Dallas? Oh, no. I'm not counting Dallas. <laughs> no, Whoa. We never, we never <laughs> count Dallas, especially all the players they lost this offseason. They gave Zeke Elliott $60 million. They can't get rid of that contract. But if you look at right He's now good. the He's NFC, good. you got San Francisco. You got Tampa Bay, the Green Bay Packers, and the yeah. Rams. Minnesota good? No. Carolina Panthers good? No. Look at the AFC. You got Buffalo, Josh Allen. You got Mac Jones with New England. Maybe Zach Wilson's the guy with the Jets. The Jets. You got Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. You That's got big. Then you got the Cleveland Browns. Then you got Joe yeah. Burrow from the Bengals. And then you go to your division. You got Derek Carr, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes. Stack. I mean... It's stacked. And, oh, Justin Herbert, too. He's good. Yeah, he's really he's good. He's tall and good. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, really you're good. right. It's all on the AFC side. You guys do this every day. So We do this every day, but you played in this, and you would be playing <laughs> in that nasty division right now. It's ridiculous. Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, Derwin James. How could you look at these teams and not say that the AFC is not going to be more dominant than the NFC? But before it we will. let you go, not only do we talk about your music career, how about your kids? Do you have, How many kids do you have? I got five. Five kids. My wife and I, we, we got three boys together. I came in with one girl, and she came in with one boy. So we have five all together. Any of them playing football? My six-year-old, he played flag football. And my four-year-old, he's going to be five here in a month. My two-year-old, he's just all over the place. The uh, babies. Oldest, they're babies. Yeah, they're, they're babies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I started late, man. I had to play football. Hey, listen. Know? Listen, I respect that. Derek Jeter had to start late. He didn't <laughs> start guys, having babies. <laughs> He didn't start um, having kids till he was like 46, 47. I really? Mean, yeah, it was late. I think he That's started having kids guy. when he was like 44, 45. He has two daughters, and Derek is now close to 50. Wow. So, it, yeah, That's it goes great. fast, man. You're 38. You're still a baby, man. You, I you, am. You are. I'm 39, and I feel like my arms are falling apart, my shoulders. And I didn't play professional football, bud. So I could only imagine it's falling how... apart, man. It's <laughs> falling at, apart. Look at your fingers. <laughs> I don't even wear a wedding ring. It's that bad. <laughs> man. Can you imagine? I could imagine. And by the way, I know who Gilly the Kid is, too. A great artist, underground artist that really came into the game. I didn't even know he worked with you. He, you signed him, but I know yeah. him very well. I know him very yeah, well. Yeah, I worked with him for a long time. Gilly is a character. What people saw back in the 2000, early 2000 about him, it's nothing. That's not even him. When you get around the guy, he's a clown. He's a funny guy. He All he wants to do is smoke weed and laugh all day. <laughs> it was a ball working with him. I'm happy to see him successful now. He found something that he enjoys doing. It was nice. I love Gilly, and I wanted to see him succeed. But I think he kind of knew that. It was not going to let him in that door. He knew it. He <laughs> milked it for long. We yeah. did like five, six years. He knew but then I got, I got the picture. My lawyer said, Tamba, they're not going to. He kind of said some things, and they're not going to let them. And then mm-hmm. I was like, all right, cool. Let's get mm-hmm. these albums out the way. 
We did. I actually wanted to give the listeners a little preview of your new track. The song is called I'm Not Sorry, just released last month. Apologies, apologies. Heady talking about the boy, but that don't bother me. Hollering, hollering, sending subliminals. Shots stay firing, yet I see no criminals. Records ain't that enough. I guess they ain't bad enough. Hits after hits, got them all now backing up. Whole city backing us. Top no matter what. Yeah, it's that real ever since they scatter us. Rap- Who's that? Is that? Is that you? That's me, baby. That's, that's me. That's you already beautiful. know. That's beautiful, man. We definitely got to talk. I like it. I like it a lot. I like the production. Did you produce that? I have a producer. He's in Nigeria. I don't do more rap. I did rap for the fans because I do dumb down music. I sing. Mm. I do more Afro beat. Mm. I just, we just released a video today. It's called Can't Get Enough on my YouTube page. Rap is so controversial. Mm. It's almost like I'm always going to fight someone in a rap. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so we sing. I like to sing. And people want to dance. Mm. So we do dance kind of love and lust kind of music. Afro beat. More rhythmic. I loved it. I, I got to check it out. We definitely got to talk. I definitely like to work with you. I actually make beats too. I sold some of my music to Neo over the years. So uh, wow, yeah, you're like a vet in this thing. <laughs> in the music industry, I've been a vet. I've been DJing since I was 15. I'm 39 now, so wow. I've been doing it for almost 25 years. Music and yeah, so and production. You can definitely, oh I yeah, can pick your brain. I, I went sure. from records to CDs to now digital. Now everybody could DJ. Some of these DJs are just horrible, and they don't know what it is to go back and, and use 70s music the music world they've lost the understanding of what 80s music was and what 90s music was freestyle and all that other stuff only the old hip-hop production producers and even dj premier who i know very very well is from over here he yeah. really rediscovered and really changed the way music really was produced yeah. and presented to the world and now you have all the different people and all the different producers that are coming out now so Really appreciate you joining us, Tamba. I know you're a very busy guy. I appreciate you guys, man. Absolutely. I, I mean, I used to turn down podcasts, and then someone sat me down and said, but Tamba, that your personality is like those guys. <laughs> you like talking, so why don't you spend more time with people who want to talk? And I say, yo, it makes sense. Well, so, you want, Yeah, I really appreciate it. For you want sure, to know something? Man. We're not a podcast. We are a live radio show. We're live, and our show airs on 103.9 FM here on Long Island. We're the only sports radio show that airs out here in Long Island, New York. Really? So yes. you guys are on the East Coast. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm right there in T-Mex. There so. you go. We got to talk, man. You're a music guy. I'm a music guy. Maybe we'll go to the studio and we'll work a little bit together. I would love to. Yeah. I'm in the studio right now. You already know. I here. see it over ah, there. Nice. I see a board over there. That's a nice board yeah. over there. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> I see it, man. And that's what you need to do. You need to put the time and the work into it because you don't know what new track. Prince practically spent his life in the studio. So did Michael Jackson. So did Tupac Shakur. That's why after they passed away, there's so much music. Music. There's so many tracks that they made that nobody's ever heard, unreleased stuff. So yeah. it's absolutely Me unbelievable. Too. And I really appreciate you joining us. You gave us all the time. So thank you very much. And we'll talk very, very soon. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Tamba Ali, ladies and gentlemen, the music man, the rapper, the producer, the engineer. He's everything. Absolutely fantastic. Great father, too. 38 years old. I am older than Tamba Ali. His career is over. The beginning of his life has just begun. Definitely want to sit down and talk to him a little bit about music. Maybe we can go to the studio. I can make some beats with him. Tamba Ali, when we come back, Chaz and the crew, as we call that segment Money Line Mania, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. 
New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9 LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. Tama Ali was fantastic. Tama, after his career, is now into music and hip-hop and fantastic guy. And Tama is one of the old enforcers for the Kansas City Chiefs. So why don't we get them on this show? And this topic is brought to you by Sports Betting Weekly. We call this Money Line Mania. This is Money Line Mania. Which has and the crew. Chaz and Blackhawk West, they are absolutely on point. Bet on anything that they picked last week. They were just precise on everything that they did. So, Chaz, what's going on, Chaz? Precise is an excellent word. But Blackhawk West, if you got 100 sports bettors in a bar, how many of them are going to go 6-0 and in one game? That's a little difficult to do. I was talking to one of my friends. He started betting ever since it became legalized here in New York. And then I told him to start listening to this segment and last week, he listened to the segment, and he made almost a grand off of your picks. That's what makes it all worthwhile. <laughs> so now he says, I'm locked and loaded to listen to you guys. One of the things we talk about a lot, don't get me wrong, Wes and I like the money, and all, all you know, John, everybody, we like the money. But the being right part is really an incredible high, isn't it, Wes? <laughs> We're humans. We have egos. We love to win. We love to be right. The money is just a byproduct of how good it feels to win and be right and stroke that ego. <laughs> Stroking is the perfect word. <laughs> Look at Chaz's face. It's so funny. And he's talking about his age. Give me a break. When I go to the gym, it takes me just under two hours to get my workout in. Two so, hours? What the hell are you doing in there? I'm trying to live a long life, so I figure if, if I drink the way I drink on the weekends. I got to work out hard during the week. You know I'm a certified personal trainer. I could set you up with a regimen. The regimen I have, I've been using longer than you've been alive. Yeah, so well, you- it's not working, buddy. Things are different <laughs> in San Diego. I could help you out. I could set you up with a regimen. I graduated from college certified in two different personal training certifications. Why don't we get into Moneyline Mania? We'll go through the NCAA tournament, and we're going into the second round. It's been really, really exciting. There's not many surprises. The USC knockout was very surprising to me because I had them going into the Sweet 16. UConn getting knocked out in the first round and Kentucky getting knocked out. I champ, probably, yeah. Probably the biggest surprise out of all of them. Calipari getting knocked out in the first round. That's not there's, something that usually happens. There's a lot of odd inflation happening with some of the rankings. Like the Big Ten's a good example. You know, Iowa comes out and does what they did in the tournament. So I think the reaction was, well, wait a minute, let's elevate Iowa's rankings. But wait, 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 we can't forget about Illinois and Purdue and Ohio State. Illinois struggled yesterday. Illinois had a great regular season. They struggled yesterday. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, like in the Big East, Nova had a rough regular season. And now they find themselves in a two seat. But really, the Big East was Providence all the way. And there's just this weird, odd inflation happening with the value on some of these teams. I got Nova winning the whole thing. I have a quick bracket story. So my sister is the reigning champion of her bracket in her company. She's the only girl. I think there's 39 guys. And it's because I gave her the plays. And she <laughs> sent me a text that I got at dinner last night. After the first two days, she's in first place again. I haven't reached out to her. I'm going to send her back. Tell the guys to check out 103.9 and you'll do good on Sunday. 
Sunday, too. I'm actually going to take a flyer. I don't bet on sports. I'm going to take a flyer on some of you guys' picks and see what I can get. Just me as a person, even though I'm not a betting man, I want to see so I can explain to everybody that if you listen to this segment, you're going to win some money. You guys are 83.5% right. 68% Vegas. So look at why you're doing the right thing, Errol. The right thing is to never start sports betting to begin with. Mm. Take the money you would deposit or go to the book and put it in an investment. Buy some of those eight bitcoins that Wes is making money on. It's a brutal mistress because of the point spread. When you wake up today, you look at the board. There are so many college basketball games because there's a couple other tournaments. There's a full line of, of hockey and there's a full line of basketball. It is really mind-boggling, but you cannot bet them all. You have to pick and choose. You mentioned the USC game. What do we know about USC, Wes? They can shrink in odd spots. It's difficult to trust a Trojan in certain places. <laughs> However, when they get down, we bet them, and yesterday... I had him plus seven and a half money line. With that last shot almost went in, I had him like 2.67 money line. What we, we found with these teams, they do what they do, and that's what they do. And USC falls behind. It's like the first 13 minutes of the game. Yep. They just don't show up, and then they kick it into gear. Sunday's games, you really have to pay attention to what happened Thursday, Friday, and Saturday in those conferences because – it allows you to then justify, was the conference tournaments for these various conferences, was it really an outlier or was it status quo? And that's really going to make a difference because the point spreads are going to get tighter and the games are going to get closer as we move with less teams. You bring up a good point. Providence was a minus two-point favorite, and, a, and now they're minus three again. And that's purely because of their early exit in the conference tournament. True basketball fans are watching the whole season. The casual fan begins with the madness in the conference tournaments. And the just pick a cool jersey fan, well, th there's a lot of those where the spreads just don't seem right. And it's all because of what we just saw. Look at the Gonzaga spread right now. That is purely because of the slow start that they got off to couple days ago. When you watch the bracket in March Madness, you would expect there would be surprises. In Kentucky, UConn, and USC, we expected Arizona to move on. They did. Gonzaga to move on. They did. Kansas to move on. They did. So we expect all these teams to move on, especially the number one seats. Moving on to the second rounds, that's where you're going to see some of these surprise games. I have a strong opinion on Memphis Gonzaga. Go ahead. That's going to be tipping off as this show is airing later on this evening. Gonzaga has been a cash register all year. Gonzaga, to me, feels very 2014 Oregon Ducks football. They cover spreads. They put up big numbers. This is what I'm looking at with the game. Most people are going to be looking at, well, it's a 10-point spread. Memphis is going to cover it, or Gonzaga is going to cover it. I'm looking at it different. So I'm looking at it. Memphis has lost 10 games this year. In their 10 losses, they're averaging 66 points. Only four of those losses, they've gone over 70 points. So now you go to Gonzaga. They've only allowed 70 points in 10 out of 32 games that they've played this year. The Memphis team total is at 73 and a half. So my play on this game is not for Memphis, not for Gonzaga. I'm looking for Memphis under 73 and a half. In their losses, they average 66 points a game. Gonzaga is one of the best defensive teams in the nation. Got off to a very slow start this past couple days. I don't think that that's going to happen again. They're going to fix their problems. And I think that they're going to jump on Memphis early. I don't see Memphis going over the 73 and a half. Memphis under 73 and a half. Team totals in live action, probably 75% of my action right now. If I like something, I'll throw a couple ducats on it to start the game. But if I have a quarter unit on a game to start, 
and it goes wrong, but I see where, what is right. Wisconsin was a fine example last night. Mm. I sat around. I didn't like the game. I waited until halftime. I took Wisconsin minus four. Then they went down. I took them again minus two and a half, and I took a money line. I ended up cashing three tickets on a game that I didn't like to begin with. If you like somebody like you like a Gonzaga, that's our sixbetsagame.com program where you bet Gonzaga, the team total over for Gonzaga. You bet the team total under for the loser. You do it for the first half and you do it for the game. And sometimes you do it for the second half. You hit six bets. You go 6-0 and oh in one game. Golly gee, you're going 6-0 and oh in one game. It's kind of hard to have a bad day. Chaz, 25% of America on their bracket Picked Gonzaga to win the whole thing. Games. Number five, Houston against number four, Illinois. So what do we know, Wes? We know Illinois isn't Memphis. Now, that's an inside joke for most people, but yep. Illinois isn't Memphis. And that's the only team that Houston struggles with is Memphis. Houston, 69-plus in 9 of 10. They're 8-1 and one against the spread. Illinois is in Memphis. They're 2-8 and eight against the spread. In their last four, they've scored 63 or less in 3 of 4. I'm not going to stop with Houston because I got Houston on open parlays. Yeah, I got Houston too. I, I think Houston can absolutely make the Sweet 16. It, it really depends on their offensive side of the ball. When, they, when they're a hot offensive team, you saw in round one, when they could score, they could score in buckets. And they could score 10 points right in a row. So defensively worries me about Houston. As we saw Gonzaga, as we see Arizona, these are highly profiled offensive teams. But as you move further in the tournament, you need to play defense if you expect to win a championship. My play on Houston, I, I really like them in this spot. Illinois struggled with Chattanooga. Houston, if you go back to the most recent Memphis loss, nobody's been within 14 of them ever since that game. I don't think that this is going to stop. Houston is by far the better team, and it's it's Houston's defense. They are strong off the boards. This feels like a business trip for them. They have some regrets about last year, but they have been focused. Nobody's been within 14 of them, so laying four and a half here, that feels like the win. Both of these teams are good defensively. I wouldn't be touching team totals or game totals, but I think you lay the four and a half and take it. They are so athletic. All right, number seven, Ohio State versus number two, Villanova, Errol's national champion. I bleed Ohio State. I named my dog after J.K. Dobbins. So, <laughs> But I will tell you, Ohio State basketball can be very disappointing in certain spots. If you look at the last few games, this is a hard one because when Nova wins, they typically, in the last five or six games, they're not winning by more than six. And really, the last five or six game is the business of the season, you know, in tournament play. So six and a half points in this game, five and a half points in this game feels like a lot. But when Ohio State loses, they lose big. So as much as it breaks my heart to say it, I think Ohio State is going to lose and they are not going to cover the spread. OH, IO, we'll see you guys next year. <laughs> you got an opinion, Errol? Yeah, I got Villanova. If Villanova is my champion. I didn't think Ohio State was going to get out of the first round. I thought Loyola was going to win. And Ohio played very, very well. And they didn't just beat them. They torched them in the second half of the game. I thought the game was very, very close going into the second half. And then Ohio State played very good defensively and really just shut down Loyola's offense. So I expect this game to be a little bit different. Villanova's a very good defensive team. I think they're going to be able to shut down Ohio State's offense. They're not going to be able to score, and they're not going to be able to out-rebound a very big front three of Villanova. I expect Villanova to win and win big in this game. 
Ohio State has scored less points every single game in their last four. And as you know, those were pretty four important games. They did cover their last game. Before that, they're one and four against the spread. But here's the thing. Loyola of Chicago shot 26% mm. from the field. Guess what? Villanova ain't going to shoot. It ain't going to be 26%. <laughs> Errol, do you know I have Villanova as well, right? Yes. Oh, you have Villanova winning the whole thing. I'm working with PropSwap. And they allow a secondary market for tickets. So I had Johnny D in Vegas put in a ticket. I got $29.75 on Villanova at the Rio for uh, 17 to 1. And people said, why did you do $29.75? I said, because all I had left in my online account that I wanted to, to shut out was $29.75. So I bet <laughs> $29.75 online. And I got twenty nine seventy five bet in Vegas. It was seventeen to one, and if they win tomorrow, it's not going to be seventeen to one. The hardest part of this bracket for them is Tennessee. If they have to play Tennessee, if they beat Tennessee, I think they're going to be positioned very, very well to face Arizona. I think Villanova's defense is going to be able to shut Arizona's offense out. I think Villanova is quietly is to me a top three defense in this tournament. They've gotten better and better as the season progressed. So I think Villanova is going to be a shutdown defense throughout this tournament. If Villanova does win, check their odds because if their odds are still fairly high Monday morning, go to Prop Swap. I'll be selling that ticket. <laughs> <laughs> so from Errol's champ to Errol's rooting interest, number two, Duke against number seven, Michigan State. The third time they've met Wes, in the tournament the last, three, is, last seven years. Duke is my team. I want them to win the whole thing. I grew up a Duke fan, Bobby Hurley fan. I want to see them win the whole thing. I don't think they're a very good rebounding team, and they have been horrible defensively in the second half of the season. This game, I feel that it's too many points. When you look at Sparty, they show up in big games. They beat Purdue. They've also beat Wisconsin this year. They have played Wisconsin really tough. They played Illinois really tough. And you got to respect the coaching. I don't see Duke losing it, but I just think that the points are too many. I think that MSU is going to be up early, probably like within the first five minutes of the game. That is probably going to give you Duke fans some live betting opportunities. So when you see MSU go up by three or four in the first five minutes, go back in, take the points in the first half, do the right thing, get paid, cash out in the first half. I think Duke's going to win, but I don't see them covering that spread against Sparty, who shows up in huge games. Listen to some of these numbers. Last three games, Duke shot 50% from the field. They've scored 78-plus in 6-7. Now, what a game Davidson played. That was just a great basketball. There have been a half dozen that were incredible basketball games, but Michigan State is currently 4-1 and one in their last five, but they're 5-0 and oh against the spread. The over, though, is 6-1. and one. They've scored 69-plus in seven straight. I'm looking for a play here. I'm going with the over. If Duke knocks off Michigan State, I think they have the easiest way to the Elite Eight. Very dangerous if they can knock off Michigan State. But you have two of the greatest coaches in NCAA history, and they face each other plenty of times. This is Coach K's last hurrah. I expect this to be a fun game to watch. I think it'll be a very close game. I got Duke winning this game. I, I think it'll be close. I could see this game going overtime. Excellent point, Errol, because yeah. what Wes said is so crucial, not just for this game, for all these games tomorrow, all these games next week. If you like somebody and that point spread is a little high, don't be afraid to, to jump on that six and a half if you like Duke. But they get behind and it gets to two and a half or three and a half. When you're given two and a half and when you're given six and a half at the end of a basketball game, it's a totally different game. There's a bankroll management side of it, too. If you go into this thing and let's just say you'd like to bet a dollar. Everybody's got a dollar. Mm -hmm. Go into it with 50 cents, knowing that you may enter again for another 25 cents. 
You may enter uh, again, you know, for a second time at 25 cents if it shifts up or down. And so you've kind of point spread cost averaged yourself into your full dollar bet rather than the full dollar locking yourself in. There, there is a strategy there and you could cover yourself. And now at that point, you, you probably don't need to hit all three. You can hit two out of the three and find yourself cashing. If you find yourself winning 10% or 15%, that is a wild year in your 401k. And if you can look at the sports betting bankroll management the same way, it is a win. Just if that one quarter hits, and you were totally wrong right on the game, but that one quarter hits, now you got 50 cents. So you got half of your bankroll back from that game, and you were wrong. All right, next game is number 11, Iowa State, number three, Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a great shooting team. I think Wisconsin could be very dangerous in this tournament. I, I expect Wisconsin to get into the Sweet 16. Way better team than uh, Iowa State. The only way Iowa State stays in this game is if they get to the line, they outduel them in the paint. Wisconsin, they, they have always been a big team in the paint, but they're not always been a good rebounding team. I think Iowa's a better rebounding team, so I think the only way Iowa has a chance to win this game is they're going to have to out-rebound Wisconsin. I don't know if they can. I think Wisconsin wins. What is the line right now for Wisconsin? Four and a half. Four and a half. I would bet them on the over. Did you guys watch that game when they barely won? They won by yes. seven, given seven and a half? Yes. The crowd, it's in Wisconsin. The crowd was the loudest crowd I've ever heard at a game. And I went to a lot of March Madness games in my career. It was amazingly loud. And, and that is something that you can't not underestimate how valuable that's got to be two or three points i think wisconsin bounces back there's about five logos in college sports that are my kryptonite i I don't bet on them i don't bet against them (laughs) i lose every time i try and touch the game and the wisconsin badgers are one of those logos that i am wrong i lose it's i may as well hand you fellas dollars to just put them up in flames and just burn them. Iowa State's really been struggling to score points Mm -hmm. in the last five games, and Wisconsin hasn't really scored that many either. I mean, these games have have not been crazy scoreboard lighting games. So my play on this one, I, I think that these past few games that Iowa State's put up where they haven't been scoring points has lowered the value of this over-under. The over-under right now is 125 and a half. So I'm going to take that strategy I was talking about. I'm going to take my dollar and I'm going to go in for 50 cents and I'm going to say over 125.5. If that drops at any point to say 123, I'm going to go back in for 25 cents. And if it drops again, I'm going to go back in for 25 cents. And so I'm looking at overs in this game. I think that there's going to be more points than the 125. We're looking at 63-63 in order to cash this. And I I like that to happen. That's the lowest under of the eight games. Wisconsin's going to put up some points because they struggled. All right, number 11, Notre Dame. Number three, Texas Tech. Notre Dame is one of those teams. Wes just mentioned it. I have two, Notre Dame and Michigan. Two teams that I do not touch. Notre Dame is the first four, right? They dominated Alabama and it went under. But before that, they were 8-0-1 over. Somebody had asked me about Notre Dame game, the first game. And I told them, you know, the one that went overtime, I said, they're going to score some points. They've scored 74 points in 10 straight games. Texas Tech whacked Montana State. But before that, they were 1-5 against the spread. But this is a no-play game for me. I didn't expect Notre Dame to be where they are. Play the play-in game to get into this position. And and they played so well. I expect Notre Dame to, to keep playing as well as they are. I wouldn't bet on this game. I think Notre Dame is going to surprise everybody and not go off Texas Tech now. Texas Tech is one that's pretty close to home for me just because I'm in Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes. And anytime Texas Tech comes to town, it seems to be this massive Mahomes event. Eight points is a lot. I will have no interest in this game other than the play to the listeners. When I'm unsure about a game, 
I just take the points. So I'm on the other side of this. I have trouble laying eight points on Texas Tech, who's struggled in the last 10 to win by more than seven or eight. All right, number 10, Miami. Number two, Auburn. That's going to be a fun game to watch. Miami looked really, really good in the first round. Some people have picked Auburn to win the whole thing. I think this game's going to be fun to watch. Both teams are very good offensively. Auburn's, I think, a little bit better defensively. Auburn, they have that that it factor in this tournament. I think Auburn could absolutely surprise a lot of people and get themselves in the Elite Eight. You know, they make the right moves in these games. It's all about coaching, uh, especially in this tournament. So, I got Auburn in this game. What is the line right now? Seven and a half. Seven and a half. I wouldn't bet on that line, but uh, I think the game will be close, but I think Auburn wins. This is my strongest opinion of the weekend. I really like Miami. I like Miami to win outright. I like Miami to cover the points. Miami is a team that has played the gauntlet of the ACC, played teams like Duke and North Carolina, and played them tough. I like Miami in this spot. Seven and a half is too many for sure. I'm going into it with 90% of my investment. I will have a personal stake in this one. Mm. 90% of my investment is going to be taking the seven and a half points. The other 10% is on the money line. Auburn played in the SEC this year. They did not show up when the timing mattered the most. Vividly remember a game against Alabama where Auburn struggled to show up for a good majority of that game. Uh, I do not have any trust in Auburn in big spots. Hmm. I think they've been rated all year. I am going to have to send Auburn Nation an apology letter if I'm wrong here. (laughs) But I'm saying in this game, it's all about the U. Auburn, if they don't score 62, which the game, that's one of the games Mm -hmm. that Wes referenced. They've scored 62, not once, not twice, three times. Otherwise, they score 75 or more. My play in this game is the Auburn team total over. As long as Miami scores more than 76 points, we should all win. Number six, Texas against number three, Purdue. I love Purdue in this game. Purdue, they're big, they're strong, they can shoot, they can rebound. They can do everything, and they're one of the biggest teams right now in the tournament. I like Purdue very, very much so. Texas, a lot of people like Texas, too, going throughout this tournament. I didn't see Texas getting out of the second round, especially matching up against Purdue. Give me Purdue. What is the line on this? Three and a half. Absolutely bet on the over on that one. Well, here's the problem with Purdue. Before the Yale game, they were 1-8-1 and one against the spread. But Texas beat Virginia Tech. Before that, they were 1-7 and seven against the spread. I'm not touching this game. Well, and it's all about opportunity. I do struggle with this game because it's 3.5. Texas beat Kansas. I lived through that. I have family in Kansas City that <laughs> they were sick that day. And then the second time around, they dragged Kansas into overtime. They played Baylor tough. I mean, so I, I'm kind of looking at comp opponents here, and 3.5, it's just an odd number in this scenario. I do think Purdue wins. I think if they cover this 3.5, it, it may be late in the fourth. I, I think that live action is is the right approach to this game texas kind of doesn't score points but doesn't really let you score like they held they held kansas to 70 points not a lot of teams can even say that so it's hard for me to side against a team that's that gritty this game is a total walk away i think your opportunities are going to come in live betting last game is number nine tcu number one arizona i got arizona in this game i expect arizona to win and win big in this game arizona is one of the best offensive teams in the nation they can shoot a lot of threes and they're a big strong team so give me Arizona what is the line on this nine and a half I think it'll be a lot closer than that but Arizona wins this game that line is a lot lower than it would have been if they dominated the other night but they went four minutes they were covering the first half then they went five minutes without scoring it was their longest drop probably of the season but they're they're definitely a, a great team TCU hasn't scored 70 points their last six games have gone 6-0 and under. They haven't scored 70 points. How are you going to beat Arizona if you're not scoring 70 points? Arizona 
every single loss they have against the spread in the last month, and they haven't had too many. They've had three games. They didn't cover the spread. This next game is followed by a W. Uh, I'm giving the nine and a half. TCU's averaging 68 points a game. If you can't score 70, you have no shot against Zona, who's averaging 84, 85 points a game. Even when they're not shooting a high percentage, they're still putting up 80 points a game. I, I think Zona learned some lessons from last last game. They're going to be often and early. I think Zona may be winning by the teens, possibly into the, into wow. the 20s. Zona is going to open this one up. And we're going to be talking about Zona after this game. I think it's going to be a lot closer than you guys think. I, I really and do. And that's exactly why they have yeah. a guy there behind the window taking money. Yeah. He'll take both of your money. He'll take the dollar from Wes, mm-hmm. actually the dollar ten. He'll take the dollar ten from Arrow. He'll go up back, smoke a cigarette for three hours, come back in and pay one of you a dollar, keep the dime. And that's why Vegas has all those. I, I didn't there. think they were going to beat Seton Hall. And they didn't just beat him. They killed him. Okay, so that's why we're catching only nine and a half on this game. Mm. See, Seton Hall should have shown up. TCU had no business beating Seton Hall. And because they beat him in that fashion, that's the only reason that this spread is nine and a half and not 16 and a hook right now. This spread should be 16, 14. It should not be as low as nine and a half. Remember, this is your last game. You lose in your conference tournament, you could still get into the, a dance. Right. But if you lose in the dance, you go home. So you have to say to yourself, is that last game, Something I need to throw out or something I pay attention to you. What do you have for hockey? Here's where I'm at with hockey. You know, I mentioned last week we were looking at fringe teams, you know, teams that are in or out or, or have a reason to, to show up. And so th- this is where I'm at. I, I have I've officially thrown away the Vegas Golden Knights. They're, <laughs> they're too banged up on their roster. I'm looking at these fringe teams. I'm looking at the Pens. Uh, I'm looking at the Rangers. I'm looking at the Bruins. I'm looking at the Caps. Those are the interesting teams to me. Um, the Bruins and Rangers, you know, more so than most. You guys know I- I've followed the Canes pretty close. But the game that I'm looking at for Sunday is the Rangers versus the Canes. This checks a lot of boxes for me within system plays. So we got the Rangers playing on Saturday. Then they play again on Sunday. I love games with the teams going into two games in a row. Uh, the last time these two teams played, there were nine goals scored. It was 6-3. to three. The Canes are coming off of a loss. I know there's a lot of Rangers fans listening, but I believe that the Canes are going to show up in this game coming off of a loss, catching the Rangers on the second game two days in a row, that the Canes are going to repeat their performance from a few weeks back. Uh, it's I don't know that it's 6-3. to three. But I think that the Canes are going to show up. They're going to win. They're going to win outright. One last thing before we go, Wes, refresh us on the plate tonight. That's going on the Gonzaga. Memphis under seventy three and a half. I went there because Memphis, in their losses, averages sixty six points, and they have only gone over seventy four out of those ten times in their losing efforts. While Gonzaga has only allowed seventy points ten times out of their thirty two games. So I am Memphis. Team total under 73 and a hook. So the weekend crunch, guys, you take that money and then you bet it again tomorrow. There you go. And Moneyline Mania, they've been on point 83.5% of the time. You know why I like this is radio? Because my cheeks blush when you say that number. And on, <laughs> on the video, you could see it. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> and Wes and your handicap team are, have been absolutely sensational. We really appreciate you joining us. We'll always be cashing. Blackhawk, Wes, Chaz, these guys are great. Uh, we've had Hector on. We've had John on. These guys are the best of the best, and we'll have them on every single week. And if you guys don't listen to this segment, you better tune in. And, and when, obviously, sports 
Betting Weekly joins us. Uh, they've taken a hiatus for the last couple of weeks because of, the obviously, the Super Bowl and family life. They'll be back in the next couple of weeks, and you definitely got to listen to that show. They are on point on all their picks. They're funny guys, and, and if you guys want to win money, this is the segment to listen to every single week. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into some baseball, and there are some valuable moves that have been made on Friday afternoon, and one of them, Carlos Correa, goes to the Minnesota Twins for three years, I believe. A signing for the Yankees. I I don't know why the Yankees didn't go after Carlos Correa for a three-year, $105 million contract. And they not only lost out on Freddie Freeman, they lost out on Carlos Correa. So when we come back, we'll get into the Yankees. We'll get into uh, the MLB. And the season's about to start in a couple of weeks. So if you're a baseball fan, you definitely have to listen to the segment when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. The lockout is over, Speedy. I think the fans are excited that baseball is here and here to stay. 162 games. It's not knocked out to 90. And after the lockout was over, it's been absolutely crazy. Things started opening up. Uh, free agency started opening up again. Trade started to happen. Uh, the Mets traded for uh, Chris Bassett. Uh, they traded away two prospects, which bolsters up their starting rotation. Look at that rotation. You have Bassett, Max Scherzer, and now Jacob DeGrom, your, your three-headed monster over there, Adam Adovito. Uh, from the Boston uh, the Boston Red Sox, an ex-New York Yankee who had a very good season with the Red Sox last year. They signed him to a one-year deal. I expect the Mets to still make a couple of more moves. Freddie Freeman, the Yankees made a play for him. They wanted to give him a four-year deal worth about 140 I heard. I think there was only one team he really wanted to go to, and that was his hometown team where he grew up, and he grew up an L.A. Dodgers fan as a kid. Um, obviously, he's very close with Muncie, the second baseman. Freddie Freeman signs a six-year deal worth about $168 million. It's so crazy. I mean, if you look at that roster, is it fair? You look at the Yankees roster. I know Yankee fans are jumping for joy. The Yankees traded Gary Sanchez. Yes, finally, Yankee fans. You've been running him out of town for years. There's no Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez talking him out of jumping off the ledge or even Joe Girardi trying to tell him that he's not going to play in important games. No. The Yankees decide to move on from him. Uh, and I'm very surprised because Brian Cashman loved Gary Sanchez. Didn't want to trade him. But uh, they had Josh Donaldson. Now, Josh Donaldson went healthy. Last year had 457 at-bats. He had 26 or 25 home runs. He had 70-something RBIs. You put him in the middle of that lineup with DJ LeMayu, Glaber Torres, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton. I mean, that lineup is loaded. Who are you going to fear more when a lineup is healthy like the Yankees? Is that not the best lineup in baseball? It's one of them. I still wouldn't put them over the Dodgers, though. Really? The Dodgers also have a lot of depth, too. Like The, the, the Dodgers have 
prospects. They have these utility so guys. So do the Yankees. They brought back Chris Taylor. Yeah, but they're not as established. Not, I'm not saying the Yankees aren't one of the best in baseball. They absolutely are when they're healthy. But The question I, is who's playing shortstop. That's that's the question. They got the kid from Texas, uh, Kelly yeah, Kiner Falefa. He's not going to be a full-time He's not going to be a full-time guy, but he's actually something that the Yankees could use. He's a switch hitter. He's a guy that could steal bases. So I think it does help them in terms of them being a little more well-rounded. Because I, think, I think it makes a lot of sense to each LeMayo. It's not a bad idea either with LeMayhew, and LeMayhew could play all over the place too. I think it's just more game plan based that the Yankees are trying to do, be more modern. And I think they've done good steps in making that kind of thing work. We don't know who the catcher is going to be. They're working out Wells. Austin Wells has been playing right now in spring training. Maybe uh, he plays well this spring training, and they bring him up early, earlier than expected because they think Austin will be called up next year. But if you look at the infield, you have third base, Josh Donaldson. If you have DJ LeMayu playing shortstop, you have DJ LeMayu. Gleyber Torres playing second, who played very well at second base in the second half of the season. He was batting 300. He was a different player in the second half from shortstop to second base. And then you bring back Rizzo. It's not a, a big consolation prize for the Yankees. Rizzo is one of the top five best first basemen in the league. Is he Freddie Freeman? No. But is he that far off from Freddie Freeman? I would say no. I think Rizzo... Still a great player. Still a player. He wanted to be there. He wanted the Yankees to sign him. So he wants to be in New York, and I think it's a great fit. Two years. I think the Yankees gave him twenty something million. If yeah, I'm not it's mistaken, it's a great contract. Yeah, it was a great contract, and he took less money and less time to play for the Yankees. And then the, the outfield. We know what the outfield's going to be. It's going to be Aaron Hit, little Aaron Hicks. It's going to be Giancarlo Stanton. It's going to be Joey Gallo, and it's going to be Aaron, you know Aaron Judge. That's a, look at that power in that outfield. That that's a good outfield. So. I, I mean, the Yankees are stacked. Now, the question is, what are the Yankees going to do when it comes to their rotation? Now, they have been talking with the A's to go after Manaya. The A's are looking like to trade away pieces. Yeah. They're rebuilding now. So, Manaya is definitely on, on the Yankees' radar. Do the Yankees make, make a move for Manaya? What, what are the A's going to want from Manaya? Uh, Manaya is their number one guy. So, they're going to want at least one or two top prospects. So, are they going to trade a Dominguez? Are they going to trade a Volpe? Maybe they trade Pariza. The Yankees are going to have to make decisions. Their farm system is getting better. They've added pieces. They brought in the international player, the Dominican kid, who is the best shortstop international player. I think that's why the Yankees didn't go after Carlos Correa, which, by the way, signed with Minnesota the yep. other day. Three years, $105 million, $31 million a year. I think that was an affordable contract for the Yankees if they really wanted Correa. I was very surprised when I saw the, the years that he got and he took. He's 26 years old. Now, when he becomes a free agent again, he's still fairly young. He's going to be right. 29 years old. So maybe the Yankees look at him in you know, three years if they don't think Volpe is the guy or they don't think Bereza or the kid from the Dominican Republic is the guy. But he took those shorter contracts. I do believe the tw- Twins, if they don't make the playoffs this year, he's just a trading piece. He, he's a guy that teams, if he's having a good season – and the Twins don't make the playoffs in a bad division, I could see the Twins trading him in the first year that he's there. It's possible because the Twins are are still a team that lacks a lot of pitching, too. Now, they're, I think they'll do a lot better than they were last year. I mean, they're always one of those they teams. They make the playoffs? Uh, they might be the last wild card team with the expanded rosters, but it's still going to be very hard. Seattle got better. Seattle got better. It, it's all going to be a matter of the American League East because they could also cancel each other out, too. Remember, the might, Angels got better. Yeah, they, they have the high expectations every year and never do it. So I, they can't stay I, healthy. I buy into them all the time, and they always fall off. They, I, they, so I still think they can. The Twins are always one of those fluky, streaky teams. So, yeah, it's definitely possible. I think it's smart for Correa, though. He realizes that this market, with these new rules in place, could end up boding well for him getting a new contract. Now, you saw Corey Seager go all in for the 10 years. You saw Marcus Simeon go for the 7 years with Texas. And Trevor Story is now still the only one left unsigned. So, 
that he's trying to maybe make a alternative play, which I think could be smart because he's entering free agency again at 29 years old. And if the twins say kind of streaky, he's not going to want to stay there or the twins will trade him too. So I like that move for, for Correa in terms of a personal thing. In terms of Mania, I don't think the Yankees will have to trade anybody huge for them because he's 30 years old and he's had a lot of injury issues. He had a great year last year, which will up it a little more, but I don't think you're going to have to give up anybody drastically big for him. I think it's going to be probably two more B-level prospects. It's very interesting because I think the Yankees are still looking for another pitcher to go into that rotation, but the Yankees should be looking at bullpen help, which uh, there's still a lot of good free agents available right now. Uh, Jensen, he went to Atlanta. Uh, Now, Atlanta, even though they lost... Freddie Freeman, their their MVP pl- type of player, they bring in Olsen, and maybe it was an agreement with the Braves and Freddie Freeman. I I, I believe Freddie Freeman told the Braves that he that the Braves are out, that he didn't want to go back to the Braves, mm-hmm. and that's why they made the move for Olsen. I think the Braves weren't going like the Yankees weren't going to give him the six years. I think if they gave him if he, Freeman wanted the four years, he would have stayed with the Braves, but the Braves didn't want to do that. I think Olsen was a great consolation prize, good defensive player and a good offensive player, and then you add Jensen. To, to bolster up that that bullpen, which is a, one of the best bullpens in, in baseball last year. So I, I think the Braves are right where they want to be, even where they were last year. And a, a healthy Acuna, they did bring back with the outfield depth that they had last year at the trade deadline. So I, I think the Braves are still positioned very, very well uh, to be one of the top teams in the NL. Now, DH position, uh, you know, filling in in the NL is absolutely going to help the NL. With the Mets, I mean, Pete Alonso won't be an everyday first baseman. What the Mets are still doing is trying to figure out what their identity is going to be this year. I listened to Lindor the other day when they were interviewing him and said that he's gonna, he believes he's going to be a different player. He's in better shape than he was last year. A lot of players say that. Now let's see him produce and do the things that he says he's going to do on the field. If he does that, I don't expect Lindor to have the year that he had last year. I don't. And if he does, uh, he's going to be a bust for the Mets. And the Mets fans are going to be really on him because I do believe they overpaid for him. I do. But I still think Francisco Lindor is one of the top three shortstops in the league. Defensively, offensively, the guy could do it all. The question is, can he do it in New York, Speedy? That's the question. Yeah, and again, the question is, can he do it in more better spurts? Because there were spurts in the season where Lindor was the only guy hitting when the Mets started slumping in the second half of the season. And when he was slumping, the Mets were doing well as an all-round lineup. So I think in terms of making the players better, the war that everybody looks at in terms of your team value is going to have to go up for this Mets team to do better. Now, there's better lineup talent around him now with the free agents they brought in, too. But still, that has the effect on your individual performance, too. Cleveland's tried that kind of thing for Lindor towards the end of his career, but then they had to trade him. So can the Mets do better at making it work for him? And hopefully Buck Showalter can find the best players to put him around in that lineup. As far as the Mets, in terms of the rest of the offseason, they still need some pitching depth as well. They brought in Chris Bassett. Again, it's a risky move because he's 33 years old and he was struck badly with a line drive last year. But I don't think they really had to give up a heck of a lot. JT Ginn's a top 10 in their system, but it wasn't one of their super high ones. And that's the main piece they're sending back. So it's a boomer bust type thing, but it gives them depth. So it's fine. Believe it or not, I think the reason why Derek Jeter stepped down is because he wanted the Marlins to make a play for Nick Castellanos. Where does he go? He goes to Philadelphia. Now Philadelphia adds another outfielder with a tremendous amount of talent, tremendous power. Uh, and, and I think when you look at their lineup, they're going to be really good, too. At the end of the season last year, Philadelphia picked up their game. They played better. Bryce Harper was the MVP of the National League last year. Now you add another bat to that lineup in the middle of that lineup. I mean, Speedy, this was a great move for Philadelphia. Yeah, the lineup is very good for the Phillies, and we knew that 
just a matter of the injuries with that team. But and the rotation. The, the rotation is – the top two is very good. Zach Wheeler was a Cy Young candidate Fantastic. last year. Aaron Nola is a, a talented pitcher. He's been streaky year to year, but can be good. It's just the rest of it. Can they get anything else? And the bullpen management for whether it's Gabe Kapler, whether it's Joe Girardi, whether it's – it just seems like one that always just struggles even with big names. They try to bring the names – like the Mets used to be. They bring in all these flashy names and they fall apart. The Phillies are starting to become that kind of team where – you don't have even these big names are not trusted in the bullpen, and it's not like these are bad managers. We know Joe Girardi's a good manager, and Gabe Kapler won Manager of the Year for the Giants, a, a much less talented team than the Phillies are. So something's up with that bullpen that has to be fixed if they want to take that next step and make the playoffs, which they have the talent offensively to do. They're going to need that. So. Absolutely, and I think I think when you look at the the National League, the National League is you 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 look at the talent there, and the National League East, you expect the Braves to be good again. The Mets with all the moves that they made, the money that uh, obviously. The Uncle Stevie has spent. I expect the Mets to be right there on the playoffs. Philadelphia, I expect to be good. Even the Nationals. Now, they lost a lot of pieces. They have a player, a disgruntled player right now that plays in the outfield who I, I think is is 22 years old. He wants out. And I think at, at the end of this year, they're going to have to decide. If he doesn't sign a contract, they're going to have to decide, are they keeping him or are they going to part ways with him? And I think, to me, uh, with, with with a guy like that, and to me, a lot of people say is the best player in all of baseball. You have to decide. You could get a boatload of players. I said that with Mike Trout. You're not going to win with Mike Trout. Trade him. So, I mean, Speedy, am I right or wrong? I think they have no choice but to explore the market now because they traded too much already. And, yes, this is the best time to be able to get that kind of value. And your division's getting better, too. You I, could get a lot from the Yankees. He wants to go to the Yankees. Yeah. I, I mean, you could get a lot from Right. Him. And that would be worth the top prospects you were mentioning before. If you can get a player as young, as durable, and as clutch as Juan Soto. You, if you get Juan Soto, you, you would have to trade Aaron Judge. You're probably going to have to trade Dominguez. You're definitely going to have to trade Dominguez. And, and you'll probably have to trade another another top prospect, a Pariza or somebody like yeah. that. And, and maybe somebody else. A, a pitching problem, maybe a Gill to, to, to get somebody like that. So, I, 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 but, but is he worth it? Juan Soto is absolutely, absolutely is worth it. it. And, and you could solidify that outfield, and, and you, you get that young star that the Yankees have always been doing. Now, Aaron Judge is the face of the Yankees. I know a lot of Yankee fans don't want to hear that Aaron Judge will be on his way out. But if you can get a guy like Juan Soto at 22 years old, 23 years old, he's not even in the prime of his career, mm-hmm. and you can get the best player in baseball, and some people say he is the best player in baseball, even better than Mike Trout. Analytically speaking, he's been the best pure hitter the last three years. I mean... I mean, if you can get a player like that, you you get yourself, you put yourself in a position uh, to you know put your your you know put your roster where you've always wanted to be, where you, you had it when when Alex Rodriguez was there. So I think, and I expect the Yankees and Juan Soto. You're going to hear a lot of stuff for Juan Soto. I don't count out the Red Sox either for Juan Soto. That's for sure. I, the Dodgers are not going to get Juan Soto. No. They got so much. I, and they're not going to put. I know a lot of Dodger fans think, oh, we could get Juan Soto. It's not yeah, going to happen. You'll have to trade Trey Turner back to the Nationals. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I, don't don't count out the Mets either because uh, the Mets are another team. And I can absolutely see Uncle Stevie saying, you know what? Why not make a splash? I'll pay Juan Soto $400 million. I'll bring him here to the Mets. And I'll, 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 I'll solidify this roster right then and there. So don't count out the Mets either. For a Juan Soto. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? We got some NBA and we got some NHL trade deadline. That's right. The NHL trade deadline's right around the corner. And the the, the Rangers make a move, a decent move for a forward. 
do they have anything up their sleeve to bring in a center, which they desperately leave right, yes. desperately need right now? So when we come back, we'll get into the Rangers and are the Islanders buyers or sellers? We all know what the answer is to that this year. I would say sellers. When we come back, we'll get into that and some NBA conversation as well. When we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, I mean, March Madness is here. It's so fun to watch the first and second rounds. I mean, there was a couple upsets the other day, man. USC getting knocked out. UConn getting knocked out. I, uh, Kentucky getting knocked out. It, it's been crazy. Absolutely crazy. Am I, am I right or wrong? That was the entire destruction of my first bracket, of the first bracket. Kentucky was my champ. USC was my final four sleeper. And then I had UConn in the Sweet 16 as well. I, also, I had Baylor, and it looks like Baylor's getting knocked out. Baylor, so. Yeah, Baylor's getting knocked out. I didn't have him going further than this round, but I did have him beating North Carolina. So I'm surprised. I'm surprised they got destroyed the way they did. Yeah, it, absolutely ridiculous. It, it's, it's, it makes me sickened because hey, they weren't my team that win. I, I, I had them going all the way to the, uh, the, the championship game against Villanova again, and Villanova knock him out. Yeah. Nova, I, I still believe, is going to win the whole thing. Uh-huh. I do. I, I'm just surprised it was here, though. I, like, I could have seen them using the UCLA or even Purdue, but not North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, my bracket's all ruined already. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyways, I want to get into some hockey and basketball. First thing, hockey's been the big story because of the trade deadline around the corner. The Rangers make a move, Speedy. How did you like that move? Yeah, Frank Vitrano, good depth forward. He was a big piece of the Bruins' uh, Stanley Cup team that lost to St. Louis. I think it was. I was there. Yeah, you were. It was definitely something that I think gets some grit, gets a, gets a guy that can be both a center and a wing. So a guy that obviously isn't going to be like a full-time big-name bottom six player, but it's going to be a nice role player for the for the depth. The Rangers have offensive depth that they're trying to utilize and get the best out of, and it's a good way to do it, get an experienced guy. Uh, you look at the free, ag- uh, the free agency market before the season started. The Islanders were going to – they brought in Zach Parisi. It didn't work. They brought in Chara. didn't work. This team, with everything that's happened over the last couple of months, uh, with the COVID situation and the, game, the games weren't canceled as fast as they should have been, the NHL decided to cancel after the fact when they lost 11 games. And then really the home games, not having a home game for a month, really cost the Islanders the chance to make the playoffs this year. A lot of people picked the Islanders to win the Stanley I Cup did, this yeah. year. Yeah, I, I was one of them. Yeah. There was a lot of different analysts that thought the Islanders were going to win the Stanley Cup. I, I mean, next year will probably be another year where the Islanders are going to have to figure out offensively where they're going to go. But uh, they're sellers. And there's a bunch of teams reaching out to the Islanders for Brock Nelson. Josh Bailey's another guy. Um, Clutterbuck is a guy that uh, a lot of people believe teams are interested in lining up. Volamov is definitely going to be gone. Yeah. Uh, Edmonton's a team that's definitely looking at him. Maybe the Islanders get an offensive player. Because you know, listen, Volamov is a good goaltender. He's not having a good season, but he can win you. He's a Stanley Cup type of goaltender. You're gonna get you're, you're gonna get something for a good goaltender. He, he's, you're not the Islanders aren't just gonna give him away, right? So uh, I think uh, the Edmonton's a team that'll be interesting. There are other. I think uh, Vegas Gold, was another favorite. Golden Knights, yep. Yes, uh, here's a sleeper to watch too because. Uh, they are contending now second place, and they kind of bridged the gap a little bit for second place in their division is the LA Kings, mm. where Jonathan Quick doesn't play full-time either. And they have a youngster too, but he doesn't. he's not really like that top prospect guy like the Capitals have with Samsonov or the Islanders with Sorokin or one of those guys. Mm. So th- that might be a team if they're trying to maybe – 
not, not swing for the fences to win anything, but get some more playoff experience where they could go longer and get these guys some better experience in the in the playoffs. It's very interesting, and it, there's a lot of team, a lot of teams that are looking for players, defensive players, offensive players. Rangers looking for a center. The Boston the Boston Bruins are going to be looking for another offensive type of player. Yep. Uh, a lot of people believe uh, Claude Giroux is a guy uh, could be on his way over there to Boston. Somebody he, I would love for the Rangers, but I don't know if Philly will trade him to the Rangers. <laughs> no, and I, I I don't know if the Rangers could afford him. You know, so that that would be the last move that they would have to make. Yes, he is on a eight million dollar contract, so that would be the only move they can make. But I think it would be worth it with his faceoff prowess, and he's a good defensive center too. He's just slower than he used to be. But the Rangers have enough speed, I think, to compensate for that. Where they just need more of the traditional grit center. It's very interesting where the Rangers are and where the Rangers could go when it comes to the trade deadline. But also, uh, like like we said with the Islanders, the Islanders could really get rid of contracts because if you trade, this isn't the NBA. We have to trade a contract that matches a contract. It does, that's right. not that's not how it works. So the Islanders could trade away a Josh Bailey and get rid of five million dollars and bring in one or two youngsters or or an offensive player that could be. Uh, you know, a free agent after next year. I think the Islanders have some pieces that teams will want, that need uh, for their playoff runs, and I expect uh, the Islanders to be sellers. I, I do expect them to trade away uh, if Paul Mary, and I'll say this again, the Islanders signed Paul Mary in the offseason. He hasn't had a great season. There'll be teams that'll be looking at Paul Mary. He's a good playoff player. Yep. Um, there'll be teams interested in a guy like Paul Mary, and if they get the best deal or get a good offer, I'd trade Paul Mary too, Speedy. Another team to watch for the veteran type of depth players like that is Minnesota. They have a mostly young offensive core that has done very well this season, but maybe could use that veteran leadership in order to take that next step. They're very well-rounded, and they did well in the playoffs last year, took Vegas to seven games. So if they want to make that next step, maybe some veteran wingers like a Palmieri could be a good fit for them, or even Brock Nelson, too, to help out their center depth. How about Hagel going to the Lightning? Nice I mean, trade, yeah. Nice trade. That was a th- That was a steal. I mean, how does the Tampa Bay Lightning get a guy that's played 55 games, has 37 points, he's a youngster, and a sensational player? Sensational player. He's been a swing guy for my fantasy league like so many times. He's a nice player. He's a nice player. He's had a great, he's having his best season. His 21 goals and 16 assists. He's had, he has a chance to get 30 goals. And now he's going to the lightning. Mm -hmm. That's lightning talented. You put him on a good wing. You put him on a good wing. He's going to score 30 goals. I mean, this is, uh, it's crazy. It really is crazy. The lightning get better every single year. It, It, it's it's remarkable. It's remarkable. It's weird to think that the Blackhawks now have Tyler Johnson's big contract, and the Lightning just got a better version of him this season for twenty three year old, a twenty three year old with speed. Okay, yep. adding more speed to a team that's already fast. I mean, it, yeah. it's just it's ridiculous. Uh, the rich get richer. Okay, and and I'm telling you, the Lightning. They're a playoff team, and they're a dangerous playoff team. And now you add a player like Hagel, who's probably going to be a second-line player. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's not fair. It really isn't. And they didn't give up much for him. What did they give up for? One first-round pick, and I think a second next year or something like that. Oh, my God. The first-round pick, that's a late first-round pick. Right. Uh, Okay. And, uh, yes, it's a first-round pick. He's still going to be a quality player. A lot of those first-round picks don't become anything in the NHL. So uh, to get a player this good at 23 years old – I'm very surprised, very surprised that the Blackhawks traded him. A team that's rebuilding, trying to win. They're not ready to win now. They're, no. I, I mean, I was. I would have thought they would try to trade Thames. They try to trade Kane. Kane already said he wants to be a Blackhawk for life. I don't think he is. Why would he? 
Why would the Blackhawks keep him there when he you can get so much back for him? The Blackhawks need a culture change, too, for what happened in the beginning of the season. Yes. So, so I, I would try everything you can, even if you have to sell short a little for Taves, especially who hasn't had the offensive numbers since he signed that big contract. Kane, they, they can still get a lot for because he's still scoring A lot goals. of bolos he was the point. He was the points leader, I think, two or three years ago. So you could definitely still he's get a lot a great for year. That. I yeah. mean, Patrick Kane, what does he have? 20-something goals? I mean. One of the best passing wingers. Yeah, you could definitely could still get a lot for him. He's a, he's the perfect guy to fit with the Islanders. Ta- you Ta- me? Taves is the one that will be a little harder to trade just because his offensive numbers have regressed for that level of a contract, which is, which is again, a player that would fit ideally for the Rangers, but I don't think they have the money to make that kind of thing work. 57 so, games, four, uh, 19, 19 goals, 49 points, 68 points. He's averaging a point and a half a game. A point and a half. This guy's one of the p- prolific offensive players in the league, and still, he's only 33 years old. I, my opinion, I trade him now because, uh, you know, what is it? His contract's left, I think, two years left on his yep. contract. Trade him. Get as much back as you possibly can. You could probably get two first-round draft picks back for him. I, I really could see that. Teams would be lining up for him. The Islanders would love a player like this yeah. to put him with a, a guy like Barzell. Could you imagine that line with him and Barzell and Anders Lee? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's scary. It is a scary line. I, I, this is a guy. But, again, I don't know if they're going to trade him. I don't know if they're going to trade him, but he's still available, and I wouldn't be surprised. But if, they, if the Blackhawks are going to trade one of their best young prospects for a first-round draft pick, why not trade a, a guy that's 10 years older and he's, on, you know, he's got maybe three, four good years left in, in his career? Mm-hmm. Am I right or wrong? No, no, it's the best value for him for sure because he's been durable still. He missed some time in the, in the shortened season last year, but that was really it recently. So a guy that's a great passing winger for a team that maybe – for. Teams that don't have a lot of center depth, maybe that could be another option for them too. For you, if you're looking for a contender, and then you're looking for playoff experience. I mean, three Stanley Cups. I mean, you can't get much better than that. No, and he's a special player, and you put him over uh, on a team that needs more leadership. Uh, if there's a team out there, Florida has a lot of good prospects. I mean, why why wouldn't Florida look? I at think Florida's game? market is going to be more for defense yeah. because Aaron Ekblad just got hurt too, and they're they have Mackenzie Weger, who's a nice player, but they still don't have a lot of depth. They're kind of like the Rangers, where they need that second, third type guys to make make the depth complete. Because their goaltending's been a lot better this year with Bobrovsky and also Spencer Knight. But still, if they want to beat Tampa, especially who they struggled with in the playoffs, who they've actually done well against this regular season, they're going to need to take that there next is, step. There is a player that the Islanders don't want to trade, but everybody is interested in, and that's Scott Mayfield. And I, I don't know if they're going to be able to, to re-sign Scott Mayfield. Right. So the Islanders are going to have to part ways with one of their good That's the guy I think Florida would definitely try to target because they need depth. And, and the Islanders can get a good player. They were talking about a first. his value is a first-round draft. Draft pick. So uh, I don't know if that's what they want. They want to pick. I think the Islanders want a player. They want a good offensive player to fill in yep. a positional, you know, a, a, either a first line or second line. Or I, I think with Florida, with the talent that they have offensively, I, I mean, they would be a great trading partner to add a good offensive top, type of talent yeah. over there with the Islanders. So um, Scott Mayfield's also a guy. Uh, and, and, and listen. I know we could be, keep talking about the St. Louis kid. Um, Tarasenko. Tarasenko could be, you know, he wants to go to New York. He wants. I don't know right now, and I don't know if he'll be traded now. But maybe in the offseason, maybe Tarasenko's yeah. name will be, uh, you know, be dropped again where uh, maybe the Islanders make a move for him. They do have the money for him. That's for sure if they really want him. Uh, as far as basketball is concerned, I mean, are you watching the Lakers right now? I mean, All I saw is Russell Westbrook throw a three pointer up that like air ball that I could have shot that bad. 
<laughs> and uh, my friend, uh, my friend Eric told me, he said, "Do you think Russell Westbrook needs glasses?" <laughs> I saw that on Twitter too. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, the Lakers are in the playoff spot. They're 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 starting to play better. I mean, they're thirty and forty. I would have never thought that LeBron James, with that talent, would have a losing ten game losing record right yeah. now. It's it's absolutely horrendous. And by the way, uh, you look at the to me the Western Conference. Phoenix already clinched a playoff spot. Mm-hmm. How crazy is that? They already clinched a playoff spot. They don't lose. <laughs> they don't. They're fifty seven and fourteen. And I'll tell you this: Is anybody not going to say that Chris Paul is the best the best point guard in the NBA? I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear it anymore because they were never this good until he went there. No. They weren't even close. They had an eight-year playoff drought. They were never this good. And now they're the best team in basketball. They've been the best team in basketball for the last two years. And, yeah, Chris Paul's numbers aren't so glaring. Like, oh, my God, it's unbelievable. No, he's not the prolific scorer he used to be, but he's still doing everything else. He does everything. 14, 4, 10. I mean, he, he does everything right. He's a great leader on the court to me. And he's never going to be looked at as an MVP candidate because his numbers don't no, not stick anymore. out. No, not anymore because of the, not, not with the scoring. But, again, the team value is what matters great more defensive player when too. it comes to getting these teams to the finals now. It's hard to just think, okay, you could throw together a super team and win. Look at the last couple of champions. Outside of the Lakers with LeBron and Anthony Davis. You had Toronto. Yeah, they traded for Kawhi Leonard, but would you consider that a super team? No, they were more of a depth team besides that. Last year with Milwaukee, Giannis was the superstar, but they have depth after that. Great shooters. And the Suns are like that, too. It's Paul and Booker are the, are the core. You got Aiton, you got Mikhail Bridges, you got Cam Johnson. You got all these good depth pieces that are just making it work. It's not as much the uh, super team era as it used to be anymore, I guess you could say. Even though those teams are still trying it. John Morant is some special. He's something special, man. He really is. Who would have thought that the Memphis Grizzlies would be the second seed no, right now in the West? No, I knew they'd make a leap. I was thinking maybe a four or a five. I was never thinking a two. It's unbelievable. It really is. And that has a lot to do with John Moran mm-hmm. and his growth. I mean, right now, if you look at that draft, I mean, John Moran is by far the best player in that draft. It, it's And listen, I, I like what RJ is. And, and when, what's his name? Zion Williamson is on the court. He's, he's, he's awesome. He really is. But. Who knows when he's going to be on the court next? Yeah. <laughs> and, and and right now, we expect RJ to take that leap. RJ is taking a leap. He's averaging almost 20 points a game this year. We went He went from 14 to 17 to 20. Now next year, we expect RJ to take that jump to 24 to 25 points a game. I mean, RJ's getting better. Is he anywhere what John Moran is right now? No. no. But he, you, you just don't know. I, I still think RJ has a lot left to grow, and I, I still think he's going to be a, a sensational player at his position. He's getting better as far as the shooter concerned and everything. And he's become slowly the leader of the New York Knicks. Yes. John Morant is the leader of that Grizzlies team. And, and boy, oh, boy, is he special to watch, man. He is fun to watch, acrobatic. He, he shoot, he's, he's, he, remember, when he came into the league, he wasn't much of a shooter. He was No, that wasn't his strength, but yeah. it still wasn't as bad as a lot of people were making it out to be. And, again, even in the NBA, it's still not his main forte, but they still have – he still has good shot. He still has range. It's just, again, consistency is the only thing with him. But they have a ton of other guys that can shoot where they don't have to rely on that. They're, they're kind of building in the mold of the Suns. I don't think they're as good as the Suns, but they have so 
much depth. A lot of their second round picks, Desmond Bain, Brandon Clark, guys like that have hit. And they really have built a really good all around team. And they bring in veteran leadership guys like Steven Adams to help out too. You got a well-rounded bunch. And right now, if, if you look at the Knicks, they're actually sitting in a playoff spot. They're the 11th seed, which is the last playoff spot. <laughs> Who would have thought that? I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I don't want to see the Knicks make the playoffs, okay? And they're not going to win the playing game anyways. They would have to play, I think, Toronto. Or yeah, Toronto's like playing really well right now. So, they would have yeah. to play Toronto. So I, I, I don't think they're going to beat Toronto. But uh, the crazier things may have happened. But you look at, you look at Brooklyn. I, I thought I really thought Brooklyn was going to, now that Kevin Durant is back, I really thought they were going to be in a better position. I mean, right now they're the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. They're playing in the playoff game, and if they're playing in the playoff game, they're playing Charlotte, okay? And Charlotte could beat them. Charlotte could beat the Brooklyn Nets. The Nets are going to have a lot of trouble if they're in playing games. Not Even if they do win just with the fatigue factor with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving for the other way around where he doesn't play. So how good of, I guess, game shape could you they're be? They're going to play in the playing game. There's no way yeah. they're not. Yeah, it seems that way. And yeah, even if they do come out of Toronto or Atlanta, whoever they end up having to play in that second round, uh, I think it'll be still very hard for them to beat a, any of those top teams. How about the Celtics, the way they've been playing? The Celtics are unbelievable. Are a little top reliant in terms of their top talent for me, but they're still playing a lot better than people anyone would have expected in their first year with the new coach. Look how good Tatum, Jason Tatum right now. He had a horrible first half of the season. He was horrible. Okay, but now I think he's an MVP candidate. I mean, he's averaging almost twenty-seven points a game, eight rebounds a game, four assists a game. I mean, he's fantastic. I think he's the best player on this team. I mean, Jalen Brown started off really, really, really strong. Has taken a little bit of a dip. I think he's a trade. I think he's a trade guy. I think in the offseason, if they're going to trade somebody, if they want to bring in like a Bradley Beal, you're going to have to trade Jalen Brown to the Wizards. Dude. I think I think Brown deliberately, not deliberately, but I think Brown was kind of facilitating more to get Tatum going in the second half of the season more. So he's trying to go back to his, I guess, normal role, and it's worked for team success too. Oh my God, Jason Tatum's special man. He is a special player. <laughs> and everybody with oh, Boston, the Boston uh, Celtic fans were trying to say that we'll keep Brown, we'll trade Tatum. Uh, I, I, I'm sure you guys are going back on what you were saying because I, I think this year, I, I think the, f- the four games that he was hot, he, had, he scored more points than any player in the four games in N- NBA history, I think it was. Mm. Uh, some crazy, I, th- I think he had uh, like almost 200 points in four games or something like that. Wow. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It, it's, re- it's ridiculous the way he's been playing. I mean, and he's a completely different player than he was in the first half. I mean, he couldn't hit, he couldn't hit a shot if you, 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 if, if you gave him a shot, an open shot. How many open shots did we see him play against the Knicks and he couldn't hit an open shot? Now all of a sudden he can't miss. Yeah. So... I mean, the Celtics are unbelievable. I mean, we we expect Miami to be where they are. We expect Chicago. Well, I, I've been, they've started to struggle a little bit, though. Still playing good basketball. They're still, yeah, they're struggling. But if they're struggling and they're right now the fifth seed, I think Chicago's where they want to be, man. They're, oh, sure. I mean, they want to they want to be out, they want to be out of the play playing games. They yeah, obviously absolutely. Are. I think they'll be fine with that because even though Toronto's playing well, they still have a, a lot of ground to make up. Well, not really. I mean. Toronto's only two games out. No, but they're hitting their peak now, and I don't know if it'll last. I don't know if it's sustainable. But Milwaukee's where we expect them to be. The 76ers, I, I, I still think the 76ers are the scariest teams in the Eastern Conference. I'll, I'll say it again. Because as much as I'm not a James Harden fan in the playoffs, this team has a tremendous amount of depth, and they're good. I'm just not a Doc Rivers fan, as everybody else. <laughs> when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. 
We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. We are the Weekend Crunch. I am the host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy. I need a finger, Petey. Well, he's got five of them on both hands. Uh, remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World. Wide Sports Radio Network. Remember, you can listen and download the app of the century. Yes, uh, not about the century, but the app. You can go to the Worldwide Sports Radio app going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Great show. Tamba Ali joining us. We had the Moneyline Mania. So much to talk about. And finally... The last part of the show, the last segment of the show, Speedy. We got crunch time. It's time for crunch time. So all college basketball, we'll start with the darlings of the tournament. St. Peter's that knocked out my champ, Kentucky, now going up against Murray State. Buy or sell, they will cover the minus eight and a half. I'm buying it, baby. I'm buying it. Uh, They could be one of the surprise teams. We've seen this year, a couple, I would say about 10, 12 years ago with Davidson. Nobody thought Davidson was going to be there. Took it all the way to the Final Four. I don't think they're going to the Final Four, but I expect them to make a run. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. The way they were able to shoot on Kentucky's defense. Now, granted, Kentucky looked a little bit lazy on defense, where I don't know if Murray State's going to be like that, but they're a much better defense than Murray State. I don't think they'll win the game, but I do think they will cover 8.5. I think they'll keep it close. I will buy it. All right. Seeing what we've seen so far in this bracket, there will be two number one seeds in the Final Four. As of right now, it looks like it's Gonzaga and Arizona. I will buy it. I think they're two prolific offenses. I don't. It's going to be very hard to knock them out. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to sell it. I, I still think Arizona, they feel like an Illinois of last year, where I think Houston, especially, if they can beat Illinois, I think they can beat Arizona as well. I still think their defense has been vulnerable in certain instances. So I'm going to sell it. I think Gonzaga probably has the best shot just with the weakness of the region, but I am going to sell it. All right, so a lot of double, a couple double-digit seeds advancing, advancing, Buy or sell. So we got Richmond, Michigan, who you picked. Very good on that one. Uh, St. Peter's, New Mexico State. Uh, We got Iowa State, Notre Dame, and Miami. Buy or sell. At least two of them will be in the Sweet 16. I'm going to buy it. I, I want to see a surprise. I'm going to I'm going to take a, a whim on this. I'm going to buy it. I think I think Notre Dame could surprise everybody. They came they really had to do the playing game. They played very well. Uh, they knocked off a very very good team like Alabama and I expect them to keep playing the way they are. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I think the only one I could see is Iowa State just because of their defense and Wisconsin's very one-dimensional. They even against Colgate they played well, but again, they weren't the prolific offensive team that they could be and I think if you could contain Johnny Davis, I think you could take him out of the game, so I am going to sell it. All right, the Big Ten had a very good first weekend. Purdue, Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Illinois all advancing buy or sell. Four out of those six teams will advance to the Sweet 16. I'm going to sell that. I don't. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I think a lot of them being underdogs right now too. You got Ohio State against Villanova, Michigan against Tennessee. I think those are very tough matchups. Illinois could definitely win. Um, I even think Michigan State can upset Duke. I know you don't want to hear that, but Tom Izzo and Coach happen. K has had their duels. It's not going to happen. I, they're always pesky when they get these underdog seeds, and I think I, I didn't pick them to even win the first game, but I think they proved a lot. So I, I'm going to I'm going to sell it. I'm going to agree with you. They're the only ones I could see. All right, one more. So one of the number. Number uh, three, one of the number two seeds that are that are left, not Kentucky. We got we got Auburn, Villanova, and 
um, and Duke. One of them will be knocked out this weekend. Nope, not going to happen. I think all three teams are going to advance. I know uh, we heard Wes. He, he thinks Auburn will get knocked out by Miami. I beg to differ. I think Auburn wins that game. I, I, I think Duke wins their game. And obviously you know what I think about Villanova. So I am going to sell that. I'm going to sell it too. I think Michigan State's going to put up the toughest fight. I think it'll just be very hard because their offense is very inconsistent. They're just very average where I think if Duke loses, they'll kind of beat themselves in a way. And I definitely don't see the other two. I think Auburn will blow out Miami. I disagree with Wes on that one. And I think Villanova will absolutely destroy Ohio State. I can see that being like a 20-point game. So I'm going to sell it as well. Well, 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 ladies and gentlemen, uh, what a show. By the way, Tom Bali, thank you for joining us. Thank you for giving us your time. I know you're a very busy man. Five kids. Uh, and, and doing the music that you're doing. Uh, hopefully we get him on uh, in the near future. He was awesome. Really mm-hmm. was. Uh, thank you to Chaz and the crew for always uh, doing what you do best, and that's giving us the best opportunity to win some money. And uh, all the fans, all the people that listen to us, keep listening to us. Uh, again, a shout-out to uh, my family for the loss of my cousin. Uh, please, everybody, have your prayers uh, yeah. in, in your minds for my family and my, uh, my Uncle Arthur, my Aunt Phyllis, and my cousin Rebecca. Uh, we'll be back next week, as always. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy Petey saying goodnight, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.